Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. It is the Major League Baseball trade deadline today. It is also a day on which we all sit here crossing our fingers and waiting for an update on Toronto Blue Jays shortstop Bo Bichette, who left last night's game, came around first base, hobbled, uh, jammed is the term that, that the team has used, his knee, uh, as he was kind of planting to, to stop his turnaround first base, came out of the game, limped to the dugout, and was removed. The word after the game is they're still awaiting more information, gathering more information. So surely headed for imaging and things like that. Jay's probably not going to tip their hand earlier than they need to for a lot of reasons. Uh, I'm not so naive as to think that opposing general managers don't have access to games and Twitter and the same logic we're working through when it comes to Bo Bichette. Um, so I don't know that there's a, a huge leverage component involved here. But we're probably not finding out until uh, a little later. And wouldn't you know it, right as we start, there's a little bit of Toronto Raptors news uh, as they officially announced the signings of Garrett Temple, uh, Mo Gay, and Kevin Obinor. So there you go. The camp roster's full. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays are going to do something today, we assume, uh, even if at the very least it's put Bovichette on the injured list. Um, look, they acquired Jordan Hicks over the weekend. Everyone seemed to like that move. The the energy around the team and the acquisition was very good yesterday. We expect more. And that was true before the Bovichette injury. That was true before they lost the tough one to the Baltimore Orioles, where they once again go 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position, where they have a, a couple of good opportunities late and can't come through whether because of their own failings or as some of you might say the help from rigs behind the plate uh, or just a terrific diving catch from Austin Hayes on a Whit Merrifield liner that looked like it was maybe going to make that game tougher. The Jays lose four to two though. They fall six and a half games behind the Orioles in the American league East. Um, we will talk about that game throughout the show today. We will talk about Boba Shed a lot throughout the show today, even though we don't, expect an update on him during these hours, but it is the trade deadline also. So that's going to carry the day. Uh, Blue Jays talk plus is with you 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Today. We've got extended hours here. Uh, so we'll have a bunch of guests stopping by Kayla McGrath, Ben Nicholson, Smith, Arden Zwelling, uh, John Morosi will join us around 1030. Alex fast is going to join us to get the Orioles side of things. And Hey, guess what? The Orioles allegedly interested in Justin Verlander. And, and wouldn't that change the dynamic of the American league East, if the Orioles actually did push in now you can have your own skepticism uh, about that. But for right now, it's the rumor out there. We'll talk to John Morosi about it at 10 30. We've got a bunch to work through, not just because the blue Jays were expected to be buyers before any of this Boba stuff before the game last night. Um, but the Boba potential injury really does shift things. I think, and you can't go on tilt. You can't overreact, especially because you know, Less than 24 hours later, you might not have clear answers, but it was already pretty clear that this team could have used an upgrade in terms of the extra infielder on the roster or even just the 26 man, someone with a little extra utility. We did see Jordan Luplo get used yesterday um, in a pinch hit situation, but hadn't been used against consecutive left-handed starters on the weekend. And then he got pinch hit for later in that game. It's, it's been an odd use for two years now of the last spot on the roster. 
We'll see if that changes, if they're thinking around that changes. I, I would say you absolutely need, if Bo Bichette is going to hit the IL, you at least need to call up someone capable of manning shortstop, even if you are going to turn the duties over to Santiago Espinal on a, on a pretty much daily basis. I don't think that you can uh, do so without a backup plan. Now, if Bo Bichette's only going to need a day or two, maybe you just tough it out. And again, we were already talking about the Jays needing additions, potentially looking to upgrade, say, an Espinal spot at least a Jordan Luplo spot before Bo Bichette came up limping yesterday. Does this change things? Let's see what Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic thinks. Caitlin, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am excellent, uh, other than the Bo Bichette stuff. I like the trade deadline, but doing a three-hour trade deadline show where every question is going to be prefaced with, so we don't know about Bo Bichette, but... Um, but we persevere. So, Caitlin, we don't know about Bo Bichette, but uh, how you feeling for the deadline here? Yeah, I mean, uh, like you, I like the deadline. I think it's fun to cover. Um, and, you know, the Blue Jays, I feel like in years past, have um, been pretty exciting at the deadline. I mean, like two years ago, it was a fairly big splash with, splash with Jose Barrios. Um, last year, a little bit less splashy, but still, like, they came through with that Whit Merrifield um, trade that nobody uh, was really expecting, and that's what I was thinking about today, like, within the context of Bo's potential injury and just, like, what the Blue Jays are planning. I mean, they are very cagey. Like, they, you know, you don't see many leaks coming out on the Blue Jays um, at all, and I feel like last year when they pulled off that Whit Merrifield trade, it was like, Nobody even knew that he was really available. I mean, I guess in theory, anyone on the Royals was available, and Witt had been sort of a trade um, target for years prior. But last year, no one was really talking about him, and the Blue Jays made that deal. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the Blue Jays, you know, are working on some things that maybe we could sort of speculate whether it's bringing in a a bat like a Teoscar uh, returning, but I feel like there's probably some things they're cooking up that we don't, we, we can't even see, or, you know, we don't totally expect. And then maybe Bichette's potential injury just kind of heightens that for them. So if the Jays had, and we, you and I have talked about at least the potential to look at a middle infielder and Tim Anderson's a name that's come up because he's got a team option with a small buyout and obviously hasn't performed at Tim Anderson levels in Chicago. We've heard Paul DeYoung in part because the Jays have already made two trades with the Cardinals and why Mm -hmm. not uh, a third. If the Jays were looking to shore up that spot and that could be true, whether Bo whether it's because Bo is hurt or because they looked at the roster and didn't, you know, trust what they had as, as a kind of depth and contingency basis. Um, Are there any names out there that can play a middle infield that are of interest to you? I mean, those are the two names that have jumped out to me. I mean, Tim Anderson was someone that I was thinking about even before the Bichette injury, because I think you could have used him at second base too, and still used wit in circumstances. And then also used wit in left field like that. The Blue Jays, flexible roster is probably one of their strengths and it's the reason why um you know prior to this Bichette injury they were very um open about the fact that there wasn't necessarily a positional need that they were looking for in terms of like where are they going to slot into the field um it was actually more so looking for the skill set of you know a right-handed bat someone that can handle lefties really well you know potentially someone with power um you know whatever 
that is kind of what they needed. And it didn't really matter where that person fit positionally because they can move guys around with Biggio and uh, with Merrifield and Espinal and, you know, various guys on their roster. Now, you know, you have to sort of wonder, yeah, is position more of a need um, because you don't know what the status of Bichette is. And, um, yeah, you, you have Espinal, who's on your active roster, who's the backup. Obviously, he came in yesterday. But, um, you know, the way he's swinging the bat, you're not loving that as an everyday option. Um, you know, and down in AAA, again, like, you know, is it Addison Barger? Well, yeah, I'm not sure that he's an everyday shortstop either. Um, Otto Lopez, it's like we were talking about him being a trade chip, right? So, like, it's so many things are kind of changing um, for the Blue Jays. But, and, 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 you know, like the, the other sort of factor in this is that it's not really a strong position player market this year, um, you know, partly because, there's just not very many sellers. And then also like when you're sellers, like you're not a good team. And if you're not a good team, you don't have a lot of good players. Right. And so like, um, and if you do have good players and they're young, like you as a seller, you're going to keep them. So I think that the market has been sort of strange too. Um, and all that factors in. And that's why I kind of go back to like, I wonder if the Blue Jays are, have explored something that none of us are thinking of. Um, you know, the names you mentioned are ones that all of us can kind of speculate. Is there some deal out there um, that, you know, it's for a controllable piece that we're not really thinking about um, someone that could move, someone that could maybe like potentially move to third next year when, you know, maybe the Blue Jays will be looking for a third baseman. Like those are the kinds of things that like I think of um, at this, just because I know the Blue Jays in the past have been able to kind of pull off, some moves that maybe were like, you know, off center a little bit that we weren't really looking at. I'll throw one out there because you mentioned Teoscar Hernandez, and this is a team that appears to be mildly selling out. JP Crawford is only 28 years old and he's got two years of uh, three years of control rather left, but he's, you know, he makes eight figures and the Mariners appear to be at least hitting pause on their win now. Um, someone like that comes to mind. Now, he's a lefty, so it's not a perfect fit, but he can play shortstop. He's played second in the past. He's played uh, third in the past in a pinch. So a guy like that. I'm not saying it's J.P. Crawford, but I think that's the type of guy you're getting at, right? Like someone who you know is on a mid-level team instead of a completely bottomed-out team, someone with a bit of control and who maybe doesn't fit square peg in square hole, but you can squint and see the fit now and in the future. Yeah, like in the same way that it was last year where you're like, wait, what? They weren't even looking for that? And then you're kind of like, oh, no, it totally makes sense. And like, yeah, that could be a fit, especially, you know, with the Mariners, the way they're going. And then, you know, the Blue Jays, when they're calling teams, are always talking about, you know, bigger concepts. So if they have had talks and, and you know, the fact that they've traded with the Mariners, um, kind of recently, the fact, I mean, it was a minor trade with uh, Trent Thornton, obviously just a DFA pickup, but um, that means the conversation is going. And then there's a bigger history between the two teams, obviously the Teoscar trade um, in the off season. So those are two front offices that you would presume kind of know each other fairly or like know what the other is looking for. There's obviously been enough conversation over the last little while to for each team to sort of know, you know, these are the holes in the organization. These are the type of prospects they like. These are the types of guys they like from our team. So that gives the Blue Jays a good starting point with the Mariners, I think. And, um, you know, sometimes maybe it is easier to pull off some of those um, sort of bigger concept trades with the same team, especially for the Blue Jays, where it's like this Bobochette thing, um, you're basically having less than 24 hours to sort of figure it out, right? Like we weren't talking about getting a shortstop 
um, two days ago, and things change very quickly. And so, um, yeah, it's possible that you can make multiple trades, of course, but if you can sort of um, focus in your all your attention with one team and getting sort of a package back, maybe that makes it a little bit easier to sort of be juggling all these balls. So they are juggling a lot of balls now. And again, the Bo thing hangs over everything. We probably won't know in time to color our analysis today. Um, so, Caitlin, let's play out another scenario. Let's play out a scenario where Bo is eh, maybe not fine, but only needs a day or two off, right? Like Santiago Espinal can fill in in the interim. The Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro can look at the trade deadline and be like, okay, whew, we, we avoided one there with Bobachet. Let's continue on as we were before. You mentioned Teoscar Hernandez as a potential name. Um, were you leaning prior to the Bobachet thing that, hey, it's a right-handed bat and likely one that plays in the outfield? I think so. I mean, I think, again, like I'll go back to the position thing, wasn't super right. meaningful, but uh, I think that outfield did make the most sense. Um, you know, I know Tommy Pham, has been sort of a, a popular name. I think he's sort of been loosely linked to the Blue Jays. Um, and, you know, that's a guy that could be a fit. Uh, I think he's had more power from uh, – or more power against lefties than he has about against righties. And, like, that's kind of what the Blue Jays want to see. I think that's the thing with them. It's like they would probably like some power in that bat that they're getting because um, they just kind of need a guy threatening, I think, off the bench a little bit. Like, we've seen the Blue Jays. Um, you know, they have a good offense, but sometimes their sequencing can really feel mm-hmm. off in that, like, you know, they get a few hits and then don't plate someone, and then the next inning they hit, like, a solo home run or something like that. That happened yesterday, and that lost to the Orioles. Um, and so, yeah, I would think that probably along with um, a person that just hits lefties well, maybe a person that has some power in their bat. And then, yeah, the outfield is probably the better fit. Um, in the scenario where we're not really worrying about Bo, um, just because of, you know, the way that you look at the roster and, um, you know, you have Dalton Varsho maybe not performing as well offensively. And so maybe that's a platoon that you could plug in very easily. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, like the Blue Jays always kind of come up with some surprises. And so I, it wouldn't shock me if, um, we're all speculating about an outfielder and then they go and do something completely different. By the way, so, uh, speaking of Bo Bichette, a small update from Buster Olney of ESPN. Uh, he reports uh, via Twitter that the Jays are expecting to get more info about Bichette's injury by noon today. Uh, so, Caitlin, stay by your phone. If you were thinking of having a, a little bit of a day to yourself, enjoying the nice day before you head down to the park, uh, too bad. You're on Bo Bichette Watch uh, around noon. We'll obviously be on Bo Bichette Watch here. Caitlin, you had mentioned the Blue Jays sequencing it and a little bit tongue-in-cheek there because, yeah, we've talked about the runners and scoring position stuff uh, all year. They have been the best team in the American League since May 26th, and guess what? They're still right near the bottom and hitting with runners and scoring position during that stretch. 0 for 10 again yesterday with runners and scoring position. Um, I know the answer to this is probably nothing, and it's just random. Why does it feel like the Orioles have their number pretty pretty tight this year? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I was trying to think of that today and like, you know, on the one hand, baseball can just be weird and um, they've played, I guess, um, seven games against them now. And, you know, that's a big, that's a sample, but it's not like a huge sample, even in the grand scheme of baseball things. Like, um, you know, you, you play a 162 season for a reason, like you need things to sort of normalize over a big stretch, but you know, I, I do wonder, like, is there something about the Orioles? And as that sort of record 
continues to get more lopsided that it gets in the head of the Blue Jays. Like I, I don't think that any of them on the team would sort of admit to that. I don't think Schneider um, would talk about that because, you know, their stances like the Orioles are good, we're good. And, and those are two factual things. The Blue Jays are a good team. The Orioles are a good team. But so far they've just been able, the Orioles have just been able to perform a lot better. They've been getting the key hits. Um, when the Blue Jays have not been, they've been able to sort of pile up runs um, and then be able to, you know, stay ahead. But they've also had games where they've come from behind. Like they've won all these different ways. And on the one hand, you could say from the Blue Jays' perspective, I mean, most of the games have been close. I think there was maybe a blowout here or there. But for the most part, um, they've been close games. And a lot of games that you could say, could have gone the other way. I'm thinking to the last time the Blue, uh, the Blue Jays played the Orioles at home. You know, there was a couple games where you're like, ooh, that was a bad loss, could have gone the other way. And so, you know, I think that on the one hand, it's just like small sample size. These are things that happen. The Orioles in particular seem like a team that is, um, you know, I don't want to say lucky, but their their uh, record with um, in games with one run is very, very good. And everyone always says, that is kind of an unstable um, kind of statistic. Like generally speaking, one run games um, are a matter of, uh, or it contains a lot of luck. It's not simply all luck. Obviously you need talent and skill to win those games um, and you win them because you have good hitters um, getting big hits in, in big spots and stuff like that. But um, it is, it's not usually like a, a stat that necessarily like translates like the Mariners, for example, last year were really good in one run games. And obviously they haven't had a great season this year. Um, and so, yeah, like the Orioles and Blue Jays thing is weird. It could turn like the Blue Jays could run off three wins in a row at this point, And then maybe it starts to look a little bit more even. And then you're like, yeah, these two teams are like evenly matched. And I think when you look at the games, um, in a vacuum, most of them have been evenly matched. They are not saying like, wow, like the Blue Jays are totally overmatched hmm. by the Orioles. But like the fact is they're not winning. They're not getting those key hits. They're falling behind. They're not getting the key pitches. And the Orioles are like, and so um, that's something the Blue Jays have to change. Yeah, the Jays have to learn how to hit uh, flat-ish 92-mile-an-hour fastballs that are right over the plate. Um, I, I Look, no, no, obviously no disrespect uh, yesterday to Kyle Gibson, but that was an awful lot of plate, and I know he's got a good sinker, but I don't know if he has uh, that good a sinker. Now, one thing the, the Jays could maybe do, Caitlin, and I'm stealing this from someone in the text line last week, what if they just acquired Ryan Mountcastle so he couldn't do all this damage to them? Um, you know, Mountcastle had been losing time for a little bit there, uh, two Ryan O'Hearn and now he's back in every day in seriousness um, there were a couple big spots last night where you maybe could have utilized your bench and, and acknowledging it was a shorter bench because Bo Bichette came out hurt they used Jordan Luplo as a pinch hitter for Kevin Biggio uh, once a lefty came into the game but George Springer there were a couple opportunities where maybe he could have been used as a pinch hitter Now he's mirrored in a, a one for 39 slump right now. Uh, also a situation where he could have been used as a pinch runner. I understand John Schneider's logic there that, Hey, Alejandro Kirk was not even the game tying run. If this thing extends, let let's keep the powder dry, so to speak. Um, but were you surprised at all to not see George Springer available as a pinch hitter in? Yes, he's struggled, but he's still George Springer um, is kind of my my look at that it really does feel in retrospect like it was an off day unless it was an absolute emergency for George Springer is, is that the sense you got as well 
Yeah, like it felt that way. And I think like one of the options um, was, I guess, when Danny Jansen pinch hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you think like, well, that could have been a, a Springer opportunity in that moment. Um, but then you think, well, who's swinging the hotter bat and who's kind of been <laughs> Mr. Clutch for the Blue Jays? And it is Danny Jansen. So you can also see sort of like the logic um, that Schneider was thinking of there where you're like, well, like, you know, Danny Jansen um, has been big in these spots. Obviously, he kind of got hosed on a strike call. Um, which, you know, kind of spoiled that at bat maybe. But, uh, you know, it, it did feel like probably it was a, a day for George Springer to get a, a true breather um, and to, you know, not not put him in unless you absolutely had to. And then, yeah, I agree with you, the pinch run situation. Like, there has been times when the Blue Jays have gone to um, pinch run Kirk, but I think that there's also been times where they haven't pinch run for him when he wasn't the winning run, like that run um didn't i mean it mattered but didn't totally matter like it was only going to be um getting them within one so they kind of had Kiermaier behind him so that's kind of the run you cared about and you do have one of your best runners um in that position already so and like that wit you know would be double like would have scored kirk fine right like they kind of were looking for such a big hit that Alejandro Kirk scoring like probably would have had to happen with the type of hit they needed, if that makes any sense. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I'm sure we'll see George Springer in the lineup today. I'm sure it was just a day off. I don't know that we need to read into it more than that. And and then we do have to understand that, like, yeah, it has been a truly bad slump for Springer. Um, and maybe it was in the best interest of the Blue Jays to just kind of give him a day where he's not thinking about it yeah i think that uh a nice mental break is uh warranted once in a while that ops on the season down to 701 now and of course springer coming out of the leadoff spot caitlin uh you said george springer probably back in the lineup today you know who is going to be on that lineup card today hyunjin ryu he's back uh where i I know we talked about a little bit last week the fun part of this the you know storytelling is a part of your job and this is such a fascinating story obviously it's deadline day but Have you been able to twin track this and be deadline focused while also as excited as I am to see Hyunjin Ryu back on the mound tonight? Yeah, sure. I mean, the Blue Jays always have this way of like making the deadline, you know, extra dramatic with like other various things. I mean, not that two years ago they planned necessarily to like return to Canada on deadline day. It just worked out that way. But, um, you know, I have experienced um, juggling multiple storylines on deadline day. Let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, I'm excited, you know, to see him pitch. I think the whole team is excited to see him pitch. Um, you know, we've seen him walking around. Everybody's talked about how great he looks, obviously. Um, and, you know, I think the team just anytime you kind of like mention Ryu, um, you know, they'll have a smile on their face. They're just so, you know, excited and, and up for seeing him pitch and everything that we've heard in terms of how he's looked in the bullpen sessions and, um, you know, even just playing catch, everyone's giving him sort of rave views. And, you know, the one thing that stood out is that they've all just talked about how great he feels um, and, you know, how, um, you know, excited he is for this opportunity. And so it'll be good. It'll be really good. And I think the matchup with the Orioles is pretty interesting. Um, you know, they have some lefties, so maybe the Blue Jays can have an advantage there. Um, Ryu's got, you know, great control, great command. So I'm excited to kind of see that again see him um you know pitch in a blue jays uniform hopefully a blue one let's not use the reds Mm -hmm. again (laughs) but um you know it'll be a good night i think 
Yeah, I think, can we just like end the Reds in general? I don't know. I, I get Chris Bassett wanting to go back to it to some degree. He's He has a weird aesthetic uh, preference in general, I think, between that and the, the camo shirt that's coming out. But like we we have enough sample of the red jerseys that there's just something off about them this year, right? I, I'm not even this year. I think it's kind of yeah. been a long, a long time trend that the red jerseys are just bad vibes. I don't, I don't like, you know, I like it on Canada day. I think it's cool and kind of quirky for Canada day. And that is enough for me. Like I, I want to see those jerseys once a year. I don't love the aesthetic. Like I don't love like the blue Jays wearing red unless it is obviously to celebrate the national holiday. Um, you know, it's a big day at the ballpark. Everybody comes wearing red. I get it, you know, do it on that day. But otherwise, like, let's just not use them. Um, you know, it doesn't look good. I don't love it. It's funny, me and another reporter, actually Ben Nicholson-Smith, were talking yesterday, like, what if the Orioles came out in their orange? Like, that would have just been, you know, clashing. Yeah, that's uh, and not the not the like good kind of power clashing either. Like not like I, I could see Matt Chapman doing like red and orange together. Um, not mm-hmm. not two teams head to head. These are two teams with like good base jerseys. We could have just gone with that. Anyway, uh, jerseys aside, there will probably be some uh, new bodies in Blue Jays jerseys. Maybe not tonight because they probably can't get to Toronto in time. Uh, Caitlin, last one before I let you go, just because we haven't got a chance to ask you uh, about it yet. The Jordan Hicks addition uh, with where the Blue Jays bullpen stands now. And, and yes, Jay Jackson is off for a family matter right now. Uh, Jordan Romano is on the IL, but it looks like a pretty good bullpen. Would you, I won't put you on the spot to agree or disagree with Alec Manoa, who called it the best bullpen in baseball. But do you think the Jays are in a spot now where as much deadline stuff as we could talk today, they're, they're in a pretty comfortable spot with the bullpen. Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you're getting to the point where you're going to actually have kind of a difficult decision when Chad green comes back, um, you know, assuming that's relatively soon in terms of, who do you send down? Like, uh, I mean, I know that Jay Jackson had to leave for a family situation and you have Bowden Francis on the roster now. So maybe depending on how long that lasts um, and what they do today with Hunter Ryu coming off the um, injured list, they're going to have to send someone down. Like there's, there's going to be some moves, but anyway, um, like presumably when Chad Green comes back, like it is going to be a tough decision to who gets sent down. Cause like the Blue Jays don't really have a, a weak link in their bullpen at the moment. Like everybody's, throwing really well, performing really well. Um, Everybody has their kind of established spots in the bullpen. And so, you know, I I don't know about, I, you know, I trust um, Manoa's assessment, but uh, Hmm. I also think like, if not the best, then certainly one of the best, Um, you know, I think definitely top five in the majors, maybe even top three, um, the way that they've been throwing. And especially when you get Jordan Romano back, like that is a really, really deep, dangerous bullpen. Now they just need to score some runs. So when their bullpen goes a couple innings to keep a game close, uh, they can come through and win it. Kayla McGrath of The Athletic, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning. Uh, Keep up the great work. Awesome. Thank you. Kayla McGrath of The Athletic. Make sure to check out all her stuff that's already up on the Bobochet injury, setting up the trade deadline uh, and throughout the day as well. In terms of Bobochet, a reminder that uh, Buster Olney has passed on that um, the Jays are expected to get more information about Bichette's status around noon today. Uh, so that could give them some clarity uh, ahead of the deadline here. We'll keep an eye out, of course, uh, for that update. We'll also have 
Ben Nicholson-Smith on around 11, Arden Zwelling on around 12. So we'll have some of our, our Jays insiders if there is any information available there. It's obviously um, deadline time in general. So we're seeing lots of reports out there, you know, Buster only providing that uh, it's actually expected to be a busier starting pitching market than maybe we anticipated as teams get a little more aggressive and sellers get a little more willing uh, ahead of the official deadline here. Uh, Our pal, John Morosi pointing out that the Marlins and Cardinals could be a logical trade fit. John Morosi also had uh, the Blue Jays potentially in on Teoscar Hernandez last night. So let's take a break and let's uh, call up John Morosi, see what he has to say. Uh, John Morosi of MLB Network joins Jays Talk Plus next as our deadline show continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, No Blue Jays were traded off the team while they're in their sleep, uh, despite what that lyric may have predicted nobody got traded through the night last night i i didn't even have to update my little tracker of all the trades that have happened around the league uh when i got up this morning the last thing we had was jace peterson going to the diamondbacks for an unranked prospect um by the way i i know some of you guys are, are sending in texts to the text line um i will try to sprinkle those in where we can i'm not positive that uh, we'll get to too many of them today. We're kind of at the mercy of the uh, the news flow, but we've got them collecting in a dock. So, you know, um, one of the questions that, that came in um, meticulous from Alliston, uh, what did you think of the effect of having to trade out of necessity rather than trading to add depth? Uh, the impact that'll have on the ability to get a deal done today. It's a good question. Um, that's that's kind of what we're trying to sort through today as far as the, the Boba Shed of it all goes now i think teams around the league will probably test the jays willingness to stick to their leverage so the jays will probably go into those conversations and be like hey it's not that serious with bo uh we're not that desperate and teams will be like okay we'll see how you feel at 559 i think there's definitely an impact um what that is i can't really say because it depends entirely on the health of boba if boba fine and the jays are you know able to operate that way that is a completely different set of circumstances, then Bo's really hurt and they're trying to navigate these discussions without giving away too much leverage, which is uh, a delicate dance because you probably can't get left with nothing. Now, if this is shorter term or if the Jays aren't able to pull off a deal for a middle infielder, there are a couple things you can look at here. Santiago Espinal, the only guy on the 26-man roster who can fill in at shortstop defensively more than in a pinch. I think if you were absolutely desperate, there are a couple other guys, Merrifield, Chapman, Biggio, whatever. None of them would be good shortstops, but you could, if Santiago Espinal starts tonight and gets hurt, there is a situation where one of those guys could not completely embarrass themselves at shortstop. There are also some options in the system. Now, there are a couple guys who wouldn't be sexy names. Otto Lopez at the start of the season, you would have thought he was the first man up. He's still Checking in with a 59 WRC plus down at AAA. He's been, you know, on and off the the IL as well. Uh, Ernie Clement, we've seen up a little bit. And three names, four names we'll talk about a little later in the show. Uh, Addison Barger and Aurelvis Martinez are both at AAA, both seeing regular reps at shortstop. 
Davis Schneider has only ever played six innings at shortstop, but were you to accept Espinal's everyday shortstop and you wanted an extra bat on the bench with that roster spot, you could go that route. And then Leo Jimenez, I mean, an 818 at double A at age 22 is is encouraging long-term. I don't know that that bat plays anywhere close to major league level right now, but everything we've been told on this show and I've been told privately regularly is that that is the most MLB-ready shortstop glove in the organization. So if you could take the lumps on the hitting side, uh, maybe you go that route. Now, it's also possible the Jays address this via trade or they were already going to address their infield depth via trade. Let's bring in our pal, John Morosi of MLB Network. He's been on and off MLB Network a bunch of times already this morning. We'll continue to see him throughout the day. John, how are you? How caffeinated are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> I'm trying, Blake, to... Uh, you've got to be gradual with the caffeine consumption <laughs> On a day like this, I don't want to be talking a mile a minute on on your show here. So I wanted to make sure that I was in a a good space and and not overly caffeinated by the time we had this conversation. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. You know, I'm I'm usually in here around seven thirty or eight prepping. I, I've had one coffee and I'm on a tea right now. And then we'll we'll see how the rest of the day goes. We all have to make it to like eleven o'clock uh, Eastern tonight. So John, um, it's been. Obviously not a busy morning in terms of action. We, we haven't had any trades actually executed, but it's been a pretty busy morning for you on Twitter and on your MLB network updates. Um, just how much action is there, you know, already this early on a day like today? Well, I think there is a lot of action and obviously a lot of conversation. And, and one scenario to watch carefully is, is Justin Verlander and where, where the teams that are involved in his pursuit are willing to go and how long they're willing to hang in there with the Mets. Uh, I think there's, there's probably going to come a time in the middle of the afternoon where if, if everybody is, is counting on Verlander and focused on him, he can't, he can't go to four places. <laughs> so they can only, you can only go to one place and there's only so much time before the deadline. And Justin is, is someone who made a decision back in 2017 at the last possible minute and teams are they're just not going to be able to hang in there that long. They're going to have to peel off and make some other decisions. And and I think whether it's Jack Flaherty with the Cardinals, Michael Lorenzen with the Tigers, Eduardo Rodriguez with the Tigers, uh, there are some arms out there and available. And I think we're going to have to see teams getting more and more uh, willing to potentially engage on other arms if, if we get into the afternoon hours and, and Verlander's status remains unresolved. So with respect to Verlander, and I do want to ask you some Jays stuff, but uh, one of the teams potentially in on Verlander is the team the Jays are playing right now and the team the Jays are chasing the American League East, the Baltimore Orioles. I think a lot of people have assumed the Verlander suitors were the Astros where he'd played before and is maybe willing to waive his no trade clause. The Dodgers who have the money to kind of uh, navigate those waters with the Mets, but the Orioles, you know, no team is in a better position to benefit from adding a frontline starter. They've been incredibly cautious in terms of dealing from their prospect pool, taking on salary. Um, but you mentioned in a tweet earlier that, um, you know, not only has Justin Verlander in the past taken every moment available to think things through, he's also from nearby Baltimore and grew up as a big Mike Messina guy. Could you see a scenario where the Orioles could do the sell on Verlander to waive this no trade clause? I could, yes, uh, and I think that, that that is one scenario that, that we've got to watch carefully here, that the Berlander going back, quote-unquote, home to Baltimore is a possibility, um, and I think he wants to go to a place where he can win. He wants to go to a place that uh, I, I think probably all things being equal, 
having spring training in Florida is nice because he has a home in Florida now, and, and that might be favorable from that perspective. But I, I think more than anything, he wants to he wants to be on a, on a World Series team with a chance to win. Now he knows for certain that that the Astros give him that opportunity, and he was just there and won a World Series ring there last last October. Uh, the Dodgers are another interesting option. Of course, he'd be going to the team that his 2017 Astros defeated in the World Series. And as I recall, there was a little bit of controversy that year, which I think adds another layer of, of intrigue, Blake, to that one. And, and the Braves are involved, too. The Braves are a really appealing place to play. They've liked them in, in free agency before. I think there's a big four teams right now. I think it's Dodgers, Astros, Braves, Orioles. And, and at some point in time, those teams will have to start peeling off and making moves because – uh, the, the entire industry can't wait until 5:59 p.m. On, on Verlander. The Braves are probably the Braves are fascinating because all five division races are razor close. Both wild card races are, are extremely close. The Braves are the only team with any breathing room in baseball. They've got a couple of pitchers they're expecting back: Max Fried, uh, Dylan Lee, Kyle Wright. Like they're going to get some reinforcements. Do you you anticipate them still being aggressive today, though? Even though they've got the cushion and they have some potential reinforcements coming back from the aisle at some point. I do think they'll be aggressive as long as it's for guys that they feel like are are real difference makers. In other words. Jack Flaherty at this time is more of a more of a mid rotation type starter. I don't think the Braves will get him. I think they will get guys that are difference makers at the top. You know, Michael Lorenzen was an All Star this year. Verlander's going to the Hall of Fame. Those are two guys that I think fit that description. But just depth, I I don't see them doing. And and I think for that reason, they're they can play on the big guys and not worry too much about the depth guys because. The rotation should be good enough and well balanced once all, once Freed is back, once Wright is back, and their lineup is just tremendously consistent and durable with, with how how reliable their group is and how much all of them play. So the Braves right now, I think top to bottom, I would have to say Blake, they are they are the best and most balanced team in baseball. I would have to uh, agree with you there, and like we said, reinforcements potentially coming, and Alex Anthopoulos always aggressive at the top end of things. Um, John, you mentioned guys who are very reliable and play every day. Well, the one guy like that for the Toronto Blue Jays in Bo Bichette, he's missed seven games over the last three seasons. Uh, he comes out of the game yesterday with knee discomfort, the term they've used is he jammed his knee coming around the bases. Now, obviously, there's going to be some element of, well, the Jays are going to play this close to the chest so they don't lose leverage and things like that. But we, we've just talked a lot about the, the starting pitching side of the market. Does what the Jays do or what the Jays signal in talks early this morning, is that going to have a ripple effect on the on the hitter side of the market? Because I could see a Bo Bichette injury or, or whatever the outcome is here, you know, really changing the Jays aggression level or a seller's willingness to part with a Tim Anderson, say, until we know what's going on with the Jays and Bobachet. Well, I, I think that we probably won't know the full story uh, on, hmm. on Bo until tonight. Uh, I, I would expect. And, and who knows? I mean, I, I am not a doctor. I have no idea. This could range anywhere from, a hyperextension that is not the most dire circumstance and something that's more long-term. We just, we have no idea. And, and I think that we have to acknowledge what we don't know, which is <laughs> a lot right now about what, what Bo's status is. And, and to your point, you know, I've, I've talked before, uh, you and I talked about Tim Anderson, about Paul DeYoung. 
Uh, Tommy Edmond right now is on the injured list, but with a right wrist issue with the Cardinals, the Cardinals are certainly willing to move guys. Um, and so I think that's one thing that we have to keep in mind as a possibility. I, I, I think that at some point the Jays, they have to get a bat today one way or the other. And I heard what you said before we came on in our conversation. Do you, do you move Espinal to short and say, listen, uh, we're not really too concerned about what our production is going to be there, but you're going to be our shortstop. We'll have Merrifield play second, and let's go out there and get an outfield bat. That's a possibility. You know, Merrifield is obviously one of their best players. He's got to play every day somewhere. Um, and and I, I do think that the flexibility of Merrifield and why he was such a great move a year ago is now being borne out because the Jays can find the best bat and then reconfigure their defensive alignment accordingly. You know, Espinal, do, do you trust him defensively on an everyday basis at shortstop? You could probably live with that, I, I think, is how I would look at it. But it, it's going to, I think, really emphasize the importance on getting production elsewhere. There's no replacing the bat and the presence of Bo. Um, I do think Teoscar Hernandez, who of mm. course the Jays know, uh, is available, and I, I would think that he, just from a comfort level and knowing what he can do for you, I think he might be as good of a uh, an option as anybody else right now to add in. I I don't think that Juan Soto's walking through that mm. door. Uh, I could be surprised, but I I would not expect that someone of that caliber is is in play at the moment i think it's more incremental upgrades than just hoping that Bo is is back before too much longer i tell you if we, if it ends up being juan soto that comes through that door the tone of this show for the next couple hours is going to change dramatically and i'll probably just refuse to get off the air until the game tonight yeah um, I, I i would still say again blake unlikely my friend unlikely i, I is what is how i feel about that one but we'll uh We'll see how things unfold. Do you have a sense of what the Padres could do today? Another dramatic loss in extra innings last night. Obviously, they've operated close enough to that very tough wild card situation in the National League that we've kind of assumed they won't sell. Um, has there been any any lean on that or any bending on that at all? I think that Soto is staying put, and I think that they would at least consider moving Snell or Hader, although you'd have to buy them out of what they believe is still a legitimate chance to make the playoffs. It might be wishful thinking on their part a little bit, but that's their approach. They believe that they can win. If not this year, then certainly next year with Soto. And then I think with, with, with Hader and Snell, it's a little different conversation because Snell has been so good. And, and he's been arguably one of the better pitchers in the national league in the last month. So if that's the case, what do you do? And, and do you find a way to, to replenish your system? You know, one thing about the Padres different from some other teams that are sellers is, is their, their farm system is, is in okay shape, maybe not great, but still okay. And if that's the case, what's your incentive to, to move on from Snell and Hader if you feel like you still have a decent chance, at least a decent chance of making the playoffs. And then guess where they're at right now. They, if, if they've given, if they're given an offer that they simply cannot turn down, then maybe that they would move a Snell or hater. But I, I think that they're right now, they're predisposed to giving this a go and just hoping that the second half of their lineup somehow wakes up because that's been a, a huge issue for them. I, I guess I would add and say, if they did move Snell or hater, it would, it would be for me something like a need for need deal. Like with, with Cleveland and Tampa Bay yesterday with Savali, that that's the kind of move that makes sense because Manzardo can step right into the Cleveland lineup. I, I think if, if the Padres did move Snell or Hader, they'd have to get back someone 
that is a, a right now lineup piece. And we're just not entirely sure what, what that would be. John, what is your take on Savale in general? Obviously, he has a 234 ERA this year. Last year, he was up around five. And he's kind of, he's been all over the place in his career, honestly. And that's kind of been a, a it's, it's fit well with how Cleveland has been uh, the last couple years as well. We, we tend to assume, I think, that the Rays will get the most out of a guy. And, you know, any Rays move is a sharp one. Um, what is the, the feeling on Savale and just just how good or, or where he slots into a raised playoff rotation. But he's, he could start depending on how the health is going of the rest of the group. Uh, Glassnell, McClanahan, et cetera. I, I think that he's certainly going to start a game in the playoffs that they have Eflin as well. Who's, who's going tonight and has been very good of late. There was a bit of an injury scare with him, but Savali will certainly start a game in a, in a best of seven series. And and might easily start one of the first three. I mean, he's he's really good. I, I'm I'm a big Savali fan. I think he's been someone that is around the zone a lot. Uh, the the changeup plays. He's someone that that the Rays, to your point, have had a lot of success in acquiring in the past. Uh, so I I would expect him to get even better than he already is, and, and find that next level with a team in, in Tampa that that is now believing like they've got a rotation that could potentially put them back ahead of Baltimore, unless, of course, Baltimore gets Lorenzen or, or Verlander or someone of that stature. So it is truly an arms race right now in the, in the American League East, Blake, and, and I think that we're, we're seeing a lot, of, uh, a lot of teams really arming their rotations as best they can for what's going to be a fascinating stretch run. And, and let's be honest, the Jays are part of that conversation, and it's just that their, their move is from within with Hunjin Ryu coming back. So I, I think that the Jays like their pitching right now, which allows them to potentially make an even bigger splash uh, on, on the trade market. In terms of that starting pitching market, John, I don't say this often, but it's a good day to be the Detroit Tigers, uh, having two of the, uh, the bigger sell pieces potentially on the move today. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks, Blake. All the best, my friend. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch up again real soon. Reach, reach back out anytime because it's going to be one of those days where plans are fluid and, <laughs> and conversations are hot been a lot of fun thanks so much thanks john john morosi of mlb network uh if you are looking for something to flip to on the commercials of sports at 360 here uh, of course john morosi will be on and off mlb network throughout the day you can also follow him at john morosi on twitter but you knew that already you probably have alerts on forum you probably have notifications you're ready to go so i mentioned before we brought john on that there are some in the system options now they're not the plan a if Bo Bichette is going to miss time here, um, they're not even the plan a to upgrade the, the depth. If Bo Bichette is healthy, but there is a scenario where this Bo Bichette knee thing is somewhere in the medium and they have to look at shorter term help. And they look internally for that. They, for whatever reason, they don't go out and get your Tim Anderson, Paul DeYoung, JP Crawford, Michael Garcia, pick your guy in the middle infield. They don't do that. And they're looking Hey, it's a short-term thing. We've got to plug a hole here. Espinal is going to take a chunk of that. Now, Addison Barger has, as much as we talk about him as a third base and second base prospect, he actually has in the minor leagues played more shortstop than anywhere else. I think that's a matter of seeing if you can improve the skills there and maintaining that versatility. He's also played a little bit of right field lately. Um, he's someone who, if he came up to the bench... Could probably be, uh, yeah, if you need him to fill in at shortstop, you you can stomach that. Uh, what I've heard is that he doesn't grade out super well at that position. Certainly a, a future at, at 
probably third, maybe second, uh, or corner outfield. But he has played 18 games of shortstop this year and has played more shortstop than anywhere else in the minors. Aralvis Martinez has played 38 games at shortstop this year, has also played third base. He's a guy who they have continued to give him reps there. I think everyone's known for a while. He'll eventually need to move off of that position. He's going to get pretty big for it. Uh, most people believe probably a future as a third baseman there. But for right now, he's played a lot of the position. Not well, but he's played it a bunch. So that's another option. Uh, I mentioned Davis Schneider would be a guy who he's never really played shortstop. But if you were like, ah, we'll put Espinal there and then we just need another bat to make up for the absence of Bo Bichette's bat. He's not on the 40 man, but he has obviously been one of the better hitting prospects in the Blue Jays system this year. He plays first, second, third, left. Uh, I mentioned Leo Jimenez down at double A, who is the best and closest to the majors shortstop glove. Uh, he's hit a lot better. As the season's gone along, 818 OPS at double A, um, but probably not a guy you'd expect to come up and hit at the major league level. That would be a play for defense. Also on the 40-man roster, Otto Lopez, who's really struggled this year at AAA, been on and off the IL. Uh, Spencer Horwitz, again, it would only be as a bench bat, no positional value there. Uh, Ernie Clement, who's a, a utility piece, he would kind of just be there on, on the bench and in a pinch. And then you also have Tyler Heineman and Nathan Lucas, who don't really help you with the shortstop thing or the bench bat thing. So um, there are some options there, but not a lot of great ones. The other guys at AAA who have played some shortstop and aren't on the 40 man. I don't think you're going to hear any of these names, but Rafael Antigua, Mason McCoy, Luis De Los Santos. That's kind of what your internal succession plan looks like. That's a lot of names. The Buffalo Bisons are a hilarious team to check the box score of every day because everyone's just playing everywhere uh, all the time. I think hearing those names, though, as excited as people might be for Addison Barger, Relvis Martinez, Davis Schneider at some point down the stretch here, I think most people would prefer if Bobachet is hurt, even if he's not hurt, that uh, there's an extra infield piece or at least a corner outfield piece that can push Whit Merrifield back to the infield permanently. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, Ben Nicholson Smith has a notebook up at sportsnet.ca. There's nothing better than a BNS. Notebook at sportsnet.ca. We'll see how he's feeling about the Bobachette injury, how he's feeling about last night's game. And yeah, we're going to talk a, a whole bunch of trade deadline stuff. Ben Nicholson Smith joins Jay's Talk Plus next on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. It's the trade deadline and everything's all held up because uh, we're waiting for uh, a Boba Shed update. We think we're getting in about an hour. Uh, word is out there that the Jays are expecting information around noon. Now, the Jays tend to play those things close to the chest, but I would imagine once they know things, even if it's not, even if the status of Boba Shed is not particularly leaked, uh, they're going to start talking to teams. And they're probably already talking to teams. They were already talking to teams, uh, maybe about infield depth. There are a lot of names we've kicked around, even though it's a very thin infield market. Maybe they're talking to teams more aggressively about an outfield bat. Obviously, we thought we, we were all pretty much in agreement on this show that they needed an additional bat prior to Bobachet getting hurt. Whether that was a corner outfield who could bump Whit Merrifield to second base more permanently, whether that was an infielder who could... Spell Bobachet, 
fill in at second base where that position has been poor defensively this year. Whit Merrifield plays left field a little more often. Um, however, that shook out. We were all in agreement that the Blue Jays needed another bat and they would prefer that bat to be right-handed. Now their best hitter is potentially out, potentially not. We don't know. And, and the Jays might not know uh, entirely by the time the deadline rolls around. We're going to put Ben Nicholson-Smith on the spot, though, to diagnose it via what he saw from the 300 level down the left field line last night. Obvious uh, knee expert Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet.ca joins us right now. Ben, what did you see going on in the inner workings of the the cruciate ligaments and things like that from in Bobachet's knee from your perch in the media seats uh, 500 feet away? I wish I could tell you. I wish I had some analysis to offer. You've got uh, those binocs, though. I saw them. I saw them uh, on the weekend. I know, and the binoculars are great, um, but uh, yeah, I am no uh, match for an MRI machine, <laughs> and I suspect that that's where the Blue Jays sent Bobachette, although they have been playing this pretty close to the vest. I'm sure they know by now what his status is. I mean, I don't think they're waiting until noon. I, I'm sure that um, as soon as possible, whether that was late last night or first thing this morning, um, Bobachette went for some some sort of testing, whether that was an MRI, whether that was more evaluation with uh, professionals, I highly doubt that they've waited until 11. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that gives them some information and, you know, we'll see. It's going to be really interesting what they do. And it's obviously not good um, at all to see Bo Bichette, um leave the field the way he did last night. Certainly not. And before we get into, you know, the potential trade trickle down, like this is the guy who has been there. He leads the team in hits. He hits at the top of the order. Chris Bassett called him the best player on the team. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. said he's the best player on the team so far. Uh, I don't think that qualifier was anything, <laughs> anything funny. I just thought it was funny. Um, it, like there is even via trade, like there's just no cobbling together what Bo Bichette ha has brought to this team this year for a team that's already underperformed to some degree offensively. Like, I mean, worst or even medium bad case scenario here, this is a real potential shot to the Blue Jays playoff chances, right? Oh, big time. I mean, yeah, he's without exaggeration, one of the best players in the league. So you're not going to be able to replace him short of, you know, like a Corey Seager or something, right? <laughs> like there's just not um, players who are at his level. So, you know, that is uh, the case, whether this absence is, is just a matter of innings or a few games or even longer. Um, and it can be hard to know too, right? Like, you know, presumably there's some degree of, you know, discomfort, inflammation, whatever the case. Um, some guys heal really fast. Some guys require um, unexpectedly long time. So no matter what the test results the Blue Jays get tell them, there is going to be a degree of uncertainty. And so to me, that says that the Blue Jays need to go out and add someone with the ability to play shortstop if they can. Because, you know, if, whether that's a Tim Anderson, um, you know, there are questions around Tim Anderson. He's not the acquisition he would have been a year ago. Paul DeYoung, um, Tommy Edmond is is dealing with injuries of his own um, in, in St. Louis. So, you know, we know the Blue Jays discussed some bigger concepts with the Cardinals before completing the Jordan Hicks trade. There are different ways that you could look at this, but um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be plan A, that's for sure. They're on to plan B or C right now.
Yeah, and I think entering the year, plan B may have been, well, Santiago Espinal can fill in there if it's a, a shorter-term absence. Uh, at times this year, it's felt like Espinal is more or less only on the roster at, at shortstop insurance. We haven't seen him there a bunch. His defense has slid at second base. Certainly the bats slid. Um, I guess... This is a hard question to answer, especially because we're so close to the deadline and the decision has to come now, but best you can, you know, what do you think this team's comfort level would be if Espinal did have to fill in for a little bit of time? Like, like if this were, Hey, he needs some, some rest and we think he's only going to miss 10 days or, or two weeks. Could they live with Espinal every day or has the bloom come off of Espinal enough that even that would be a little difficult for them to stomach? I think if it were 10 days or two weeks, that'd be okay. I, I think, you know, at that point, he's able to handle the position, um, you know, with a certain degree of competence. Um, and you can you can live with that. I think if it's longer than that, then you want someone who's giving you more. And as you mentioned, Blake, I mean, you look at the defensive metrics here, and, and this is just going off the numbers, right? Going off what the information's telling us. Espinal has struggled at second base. And the eye test would back that up. His range hasn't been great this year to my eye. Um, so, you know, you're looking at a guy whose defensive metrics at an easier position haven't been great, and his offensive numbers are not good either. So, yeah, of course, you could live with that for a couple weeks. Um, that'd be fine. Espinal is a major league player. You can, you can live with that. I think um, at the same time, if there's any fear that this could last longer, then that's where you want to explore every possible avenue around someone like a Tim Anderson, um, which is not what I would have been saying 24 hours ago, to be honest with you. Yesterday, I would have been saying, you know what, the shoulder questions around Tim Anderson, the lack of power, just move on and get yourself a Tommy fan. But, you know, at this point, you're talking about adding a bat either way. Right now, I think this tilts things toward why don't they add a bat who can also handle an infield position just in case, uh, in case Bobachet does need some time. Let me blow your mind here, Ben. Why not both? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what? They've got. Uh, the, I'm. I'm here for that. I'm here for that. I think that the, even before today, there was a case that you could add a couple players, um, a, a outfielder probably slash DH, and then an infielder. And you know what? I uh, I, I like that thinking. Do you have any names in mind? For, for those uh, possible additions. Because here's, you know, the thing is, and this is the sense I get from talking to executives who are trying to add bats them, themselves, it's like really hard to actually find decent bats yep. on the trade market. So it's going to be a challenge for the Jays. Here's the secret about bad teams who are selling. They have a lot of bad players to sell. Uh, Jamer Candelario was like a non-tender guy and is now one of the biggest names that is going to move on the position player side at this deadline. It's a weird one. So there are a couple names out there. Now we've discussed Tim Anderson and Paul DeYoung and names like that. Um, you know, I do wonder if everything we've heard on the reporting side has been that the nationals have priced Lane Thomas as if he's an everyday player. Um, and, and other teams have, you know, offered more like he's a platoon player. And that's been the value split. Are the Blue Jays a little more willing to play an everyday pay an everyday player price uh, at this point? I, I don't I don't know. Um, and also, I don't know if Lane Thomas is a, is a guy they like or I've just kind of circled. But a name I threw you on text yesterday, and this is a difficult one because the Mariners are selling, but the Mariners sell bullpen pieces and expirings. They don't they they're not really in full sell mode. But I do wonder if the Jays kick the 
tires on a guy like JP Crawford, who is on the north side of 28, has a couple years of control left, but is into earning, you know, eight figures and things like that, has a bit of experience moving off of shortstop around the infield. So conceivably could play some second base or, or third base this year and in the future. Um, that The price tag on that one from the Mariners is probably high, certainly higher than it was for Merrifield last year. But could you see the Jays kind of, I mean, surely they had discussed, hey, let's add a guy who also pencils in for 2024 when we have third base, second base, center field holes on paper right now. Could you see them just upping the aggression on, on a, a type like that? I like that idea. I, I really do. Like, J.P. Crawford's a really good player. I, I think, you know, you think about who are the better defensive shortstops in the game. And, I mean, one of them's in Toronto, in Jorge <laughs> Mateo, who's really, really good. Um, and then I, I think that, I think Crawford's up there. I think he's he's a really good defender. And he's taken a step forward with his offense this year. And there might even be more room um, to, uh, to, to grow there offensively. So I, I look at him and I think this is a really good player. Like this is a really, really good baseball player that you would want on your team for a couple of seasons. And, you know, moving forward, maybe he plays second base, um, for the, for the blue Jays beyond 2023, there would be easy ways to fit him into that mix. But, um, but yeah, I, I do think the price would be really high. So, I mean, if the Mariners say, okay, well, listen, but it's going to have to be like an elite prospect plus, you know, and the Jays, you know, because they're not going to trade him for for scraps, right? right. It's not going to be bits and pieces. It's, it's not going to be, be Samad Taylor and Max Castillo. Absolutely not. And that, by the way, was a great trade by the Blue Jays a year ago. <laughs> Whit Merrifield has been tremendous. I mean, that was an awesome deal. But, you know, Crawford is is performing at the height of his abilities, so you're not going to get that kind of discount. So do you trade Arelvis plus something else to get J.P. Crawford? Like, that's that's probably a fair structure, right? Like, so, you know, what what price are you willing to pay? Because... You know, Paul DeYoung, uh, in contrast, who's who's apparently out there, and I've heard I've heard people with other teams speculate that DeYoung makes sense for the Blue Jays, but he's not quite as exciting as a as an acquisition. He's not, and you know, certainly a, a guy who has the shortstop reps. Obviously, um, depending on which metrics you you look at, grades out as about average defensively there. Which, as a fill in and a backup. Uh, hey, that's uh, that's about as good as you can hope for there. And he did play 20 games at second base a, a few years back. And I think, I mean, Ben, I, correct me if you feel differently, but anyone who can play shortstop capably, I'm assuming give them 40, 50 games, they'll be able to figure out second base, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, DeYoung's a, an interesting one, and he's got those... He's got a bit of an interesting contract structure with two team options the next two years. He's a little more expensive than Crawford and, and isn't as good, but maybe that makes him, you know, more affordable to acquire than, well, so he's certainly more affordable to acquire than JP Crawford. Do, does any part of you like groan a little bit at the idea of making three trades with the Cardinals in the span of like two weeks as they bought him out and having have such a bet here in the NL Central? Um, I, I actually, I find it sort of entertaining. Like, and, and I also think like, I don't know, this was a really good team last year. Obviously it's kind of spiraled this year, but this isn't like a bad roster. It's not like we're talking about trying to turn, you know, the 2023 A's into a contender elsewhere. Like the Cardinals are pretty good. Or, or I mean, the Cardinals historically have been pretty good and this year's is, is a down year for them. Um, so I see no problem with that. Um, I, I even, you know, you look at Edmund, you look at, um, you know, obviously Hicks and, and Yenesis Cabrera already with the Blue Jays. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a case to be made for adding DeYoung or Tyler O'Neill or both or 
um, just seeing what you can do. And I think part of it too is, again, just returning to that point of there's not a lot of inventory out there. So you're not going to, you know, if you're if you're a team looking for pitching, you're talking to the Tigers and you're talking to the Mets. And and um, if you're a team looking for hitters, you're probably talking to the Mets about, about uh, Tommy Pham and you're probably talking to the Cardinals. So at a certain point, those teams do control the market and you don't have a lot of choice whether you want to trade with the Cardinals or not that's one of those teams you have to be involved with. You have to be. And there are just, I mean, you mentioned there are just not a lot of options out there. You go look at pull up fan graphs or baseball reference or something like that. And you filter by second baseman and, and look at who the second basemen are around baseball in general, before even filtering out uh, the, the good teams who aren't selling, like it has become at least this year. And I think last year, just not a, a super strong position. So you're trying to kind of just hang tight there. Now the Jays have been so bad defensively there that I, I think you could have even before the Boba thing made, made the case for it. So Ben, I'll kick it back to you. Um, you, you had thrown a couple names out there. You asked if anyone, f- any names out there that I like that fit, um, have you, is there anyone you've started to look at more closely over the last, 16 hours or so given the Bo Bichette thing and, and you know Tim Anderson is one of them but this entire time you have not sounded very rosy on Tim Anderson um, whether infield or outfield is there someone else you've kind of taken a deeper look under the hood at well fam was already someone who I thought made sense I still think he makes sense um, as a you know as a basically taking the Jordan Luplo spot mm-hmm. and there's a whole if, if this wasn't the trade deadline by the way we could have a whole discussion about George Springer and Luplo and <laughs> everything yeah. that happened last night I was going to bring so, that up but I was going to bring that up on the way out obviously we got to lead okay, with the okay. trade stuff Yes we'll we'll come back to that then but um but you know you could you could essentially um, turn Luplo's spot into a Tommy fam still think that makes sense as you said, I mean, Tim Anderson is a guy that basically I wasn't that intrigued by for this whole month because I looked at literally zero power until I know he homered recently, but he has like 11 doubles this season. He has one homer, but you know what? If Bo Bichette is going to miss time, you've got to open the the horizons a little bit and you've got to be you've got to be a little bit more creative and positionally Tim Anderson can play up the middle. So you know what, like at a certain point, you've got to adjust to the situation in front of you. And that's where Tim Anderson does become a little bit more interesting to me. Um, and DeYoung, of course, is interesting. Um, I just, you know, I don't see a ton. Um, I, I think the Hassan Kim idea with San Diego is a really interesting one, but, you know, the Padres are probably going to buy. So you're probably not getting him. So And the price I, I is going to be, you know, we talked about the price being high with J.P. Crawford, a guy with a couple years of control. The Padres are like, even if they sell, it's going to be okay. Like you got to really make it worth our while for a guy who could be a everyday player for them in 2024. Oh yeah. I mean, Kim's a great player. So, you know, it's, it's tough to do. So I I think realistically Hicks is probably going to be the blue Jays biggest name acquisition. Um, But you got to stay open-minded. You got to call on Tay Oscar. Um, You know, I think Tay Oscar fits like, why not Um, Tay Oscar and Tim Anderson or DeYoung and Tommy Pham um, or one of those guys. I mean, I think if they get one position player, they can come out of this thing saying, okay, we made our team better um, pending the status of Boba Shett. But, 
you know, they also know a whole lot more than we do right now. So they might need two players. Teoscar Hernandez, by the way, who if anyone is looking at his uh, surface level stat line and wondering why we're talking about him as a potential ad, he has monster numbers against lefties this year. His struggles have come almost entirely against right-handed pitching, a 142 WRC plus uh, against lefties. And that includes an OPS of about 900. Um, Certainly, you know, you'd, you'd, be aware of Teoscar Hernandez's defensive capabilities uh, or lack of capabilities. But, um, you know, the bat is pretty obvious as far as uh, someone who can hit lefties goes. Now, Ben, let's play out one more scenario here. And that scenario is the Jays add an outfield bat, but Bo going to need a little bit of time. There are a couple of internal names who have some shortstop experience who could, you know, maybe... Maybe they're just a bench piece. Maybe they're helping out Santiago Espinal. Do you have a sense uh, of which of the AAA or I guess even AA in terms of Leo Jimenez and his glove, who would get the call first between a Barger, an Arelvis Martinez, a Leo Jimenez, maybe even a Davis Schneider who doesn't play shortstop but but adds a bat with some positional versatility? Do you, do you have a sense of who the next guy up would be or if they go the less sexy Otto Lopez, Ernie Clement route? specifically at shortstop we're talking about specifically in a scenario here where they add an outfielder Bo's going to hit the IL, but they don't add an infielder. So you need an extra, you know, an extra set of infield hands on the bench. Right. Okay. If you're talking about a bench role, you know, I I don't see them calling up a Relvis after just a month at triple a to do that. Um, I think you could do that with David Schneider. Um, and, yeah, I think that that would be fine. Um, he could probably be a league average bat in the majors right now. Um, Barger, yeah, you could think about Barger as a bench bat. I, I think just, uh, you know, given where he's at in his progression. Um, and Jimenez, if you're looking for the defense, then he would be the guy. Um, and he's also had a pretty good offensive season. So, And he's on the 40-man. So, yeah, I think... Uh, Jimenez could be the most logical if you're just looking for a bench player, honestly, even though he'd be skipping triple a, um, but at a certain point you want to make sure that you can field the ball. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, we saw, I mean, just as one example this weekend, we saw when the blue Jays were going for defense late in games, Espinal came out of the game. So, you know, that to me is not a ringing endorsement of his defense. Um, but he's a big league player, you know, and, you know, he, he gives them value and that value is, is now front and center at a time that Bichette's status is in question. It certainly is in question and maybe we'll get more news on that uh, throughout the course of this show. Um, again, some reporting out there that the, the Jays are going to get a little more information around noon. Um, ben, as you said, they surely have information. They're maybe just not going to tell us or leak it uh, until about noon um i guess last question on the bobachette trickle down from you and this is fatalistic and i'm gonna go very sports talk radio guy on you here so bear with me i'm gonna go full mad dog from from frazier nice. uh or bulldog rather um no chance that injury is serious enough that you reevaluate your aggression level from a like fatalistic standpoint right like i'm not saying they'd be sellers but ooh, it's hard to picture making a run without our best player let's not even put in the chips to, to try to add to this roster? I think it's a reasonable question. I, I think that it's not going to happen that way. Like, I think the Jays are here to add, you know, they're, they're capable of adding to this team without really 
hurting the work the the best of their prospects, right? Like you can augment this team and you can add players um, who will help the Blue Jays win in 2023 without taking away Ricky Tiedemann and Ralvis Martinez and Brandon Barriera and the best prospects in this system. So I think they'll do that. I mean, we saw that with the Hicks trade. Hicks might have been the best reliever available in the market. And, you know, I don't see too many Blue Jays fans crying over Sam Robertsa and Adam Klofenstein. And, and maybe those guys become really decent backhand starters. And, you know, they're they're Steven Matz in, in Ross Stripling in five years' time. And we look back and we say, you know what? Those guys are they're pretty useful major league players, and the Jays could have used that. But, you know, I think that uh, the Jays are going to be able to augment this team and I think that that's the plan, whether or not Bo Bichette's uh, able to play today or able to play in a month's time. I think that makes sense. And your piece on on sportsnet.ca coming out of the Jordan Hicks trade was a helpful exercise in that of, you know, whatever that trade value site people use is, yeah, it's probably going to say you lost the Jordan Hicks trade. Uh, Sam Robertson and Adam Klovenstein probably get more total wins above replacement over the course of their years of control than Jordan Hicks does over these next two months. But those things aren't created equal. Half a win right now is way more valuable than two generic wins in 2027. Um, so the Jordan Hicks edition, I, I mean, the math makes sense there. Um, how, how are you feeling about this team's bullpen and pitching situation in general after the Hicks edition? We saw again last night, uh, uh, Bowden Francis comes up and gives them some good work. Um, they've been able to, you know, Nate Pearson up and down, Jay Jackson up and down with Jordan Hicks. Now in the back end, are you firmly comfortable with what this team looks like from a pitching side? Yeah, I, and I still am I'm curious to see what Hyunjin Ryu can do tonight. Yeah. I mean, that's another big story that we could have done a whole you know segment on in, in different circumstances. Um, I, I think their pitching staff is good, and and you know this is not really just a matter of opinion. They have the best ERA in the American League. I mean, it's hard to ask for a whole lot more than that, right? Like they're up there. I think the Padres have the best ERA in baseball. Jays were second last I checked. So this is an elite pitching staff in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, that's that's a fact. Um, and and I think when you look at Gosman and Barrios as your one-two, and Bassett as a really good number three, and then you have kind of depth behind that with Kikuchi and Manoa and Ryu, the bullpen to me looks really good. It's a better bullpen than they've had in years. Um, so this is a really, really good pitching staff. To me, the big challenges with this team are the record isn't as good as their roster. Um, like they, they have a better roster than they do a record. And the Bichette thing is a big question mm-hmm. right now. So they're going to need some internal improvement. Um, they're going to need some deadline additions, but they're in a pretty good spot here. Um, pending the, the Bichette uncertainty. Um, they, they're a really good team and, uh, they absolutely need to augment it in the next, what is it? Six and a half hours. And I think they will. And they have to augment that not only because they're not quite good enough as currently constructed, but also because the teams around them are trying to get better. And, and I know in your notebook this morning at sportsat.ca, Ben, uh, you kind of question, hey, what are the Orioles going to do here? Because the Rays have added Aaron Savale. Uh, the Red Sox and Yankees are both trying to do this kind of twin track thing where they're buying and selling. And uh, I don't know, both of those teams are just remarkably weird right now. Uh, everyone in the AL West has kind of stated their intentions. Um, are the Ori- Outside of Toronto, are the Orioles the team you're most fascinated by these next six and a half hours yeah i i would say the orioles and also the mets because i'm curious to see what happens with justin verlander um and i want to know where tommy fam goes and what he gets back to to the mets so those would probably be the two teams i think with baltimore 
like it reminds me of the Jays a few years ago when Blue Jays fans got really frustrated because they were linked to a lot of names and it took a while before they landed Ryu and Springer. And I, I see the Orioles kind of in that space right now where, you know, they're linked to Justin Verlander, but like they're not, I, I'd be really surprised. I don't, I don't see them getting Justin Verlander. I see Verlander going to Atlanta or the Dodgers. Um, I just, I, or, or I could see him going to the Astros or even, I don't know. Could the Rangers get Verlander? Like stranger things have happened. So, you know, I, or Padres, right? Like I see it being one of those teams. I don't see it being um, Baltimore. And so I see Baltimore getting like Michael Lorenzen, you know, perfectly reasonable addition to a front office that's been very reasonable every step of the way. And they have a first place team to show for it. How long do the Baltimore Orioles think a playoff series is? Because they seem to be content to have like eight number four starters and I don't think they realize that a baseball series, a playoff series is only uh, two, three, seven games. I, I, I jest a little bit, but I, I mean, I like Michael Lorenzen, but I think this is a team that, um, you know, they have a lot of really capable mid rotation starters. I, I don't know that they have anyone yesterday's results aside uh, that you're comfortable starting, you know, a wild card game or game one of a, of a playoff series. I, I guess it's just a lack of those names on the market though. Right. Partly. And I think too, like there are different ways to do it. And, and I think that, you know, if you have a good enough bullpen and a good enough defense and your, your team can hit a little bit with the, which the Orioles certainly can, then, you know, you put Kyle Gibson out there for two times through the order, or you put Dean Kramer out there for two times through the order, and then you hand it off to Cano and Batista and you let them get the last three innings of the, of the game. 2015 and- Royals style. Well, it's and I think Caleb made this point last night, and I I like that comp that this this Orioles team is sort of like that Royals team, except and, good. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got the the Orioles are good. Um, I don't think that they're in a different class than the Blue Jays or the Rays. I think there are a lot of good teams in this division. I, honestly, the Red Sox are. I think the Red Sox are pretty good too, um, but um, the Yankees aren't though. I mean, the Yankees are really not good. But anyway, that's not the point. The <laughs> Orioles are, and we'll see what uh, we'll see what they do. But I am fascinated, and I, if I had to predict, um, I just I don't think the Orioles are going to be that bold. I think what we've seen from them is very methodical, very procedural, measured. It works. It's it's a really good system for them um, with their resources. And uh, I don't anticipate a major departure from that today. Yeah, the Red Sox part of what you just said there is frustrating. Tristan Cassis being uh, really good potentially is a... Uh is a nice fly in the, in the salad here for, for this American league East. And I do wonder Ben too, if part of, and and I've joked around with about this with a a friend who's an Orioles fan. If part of why I'm so eager to see the Orioles push some chips in is because uh, the, the specter of them being this good and sustainable for so long is frustrating. And and I'm just trying to will them to, to shorten that window a little bit, but you're right. They, they have stuck to this. Um, I do think though, and maybe, you know, maybe you agree with this, that the, like, obviously you want to maintain the long-term health and pipeline here. You, they, they want to be the Rays more than they want to be the Yankees. They want to be the Beatles more than they want to be the Rolling Stones, et cetera. But your best chance, your best window to add, especially with short-term pieces is while all your young guys are really inexpensive, especially if you're never going to be a high budget team. So to me, I think they, this is a delicate dance for them and they have to worry a little bit about being too conservative while all their young star players are still cheap. Yeah, for sure. And I think like this is where in free agency, um, I thought they should have gone after Jacob deGrom because 
you know, you're talking about a short-term high AAV deal. And we all know, you know, DeGrom's obviously um, sidelined with Tommy John. There was risk in that. But I still think they should have gone after DeGrom in free agency. And then, you know, the same thing for um, this coming off season. Like, and I was, you know, they could also apply that logic to, hey, go and get Justin Verlander. But we saw with the Scherzer trade, to get Verlander is probably going to take a really good prospect. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just money, whereas adding DeGrom would have just been money um, at a time that they're not really spending a ton elsewhere. So I do think that, you know, the DeGrom concept or Carlos Correa, I thought would have been a really good fit for Baltimore, even though they have all those infielders, maybe, you know, you end up playing Correa at second base and Adam Frazier's coming off your bench, whatever the case, like just spending big on a short term high AV player probably made sense for Baltimore but you're not doing that in the in the middle of a season in the middle of a season if you're adding impact that probably comes at the expense of your farm system and we'll see but you know it will have a big impact on the Blue Jays because not only for the next three games here but going down the stretch there's a big difference between Baltimore adding Michael Lorenzen and Baltimore adding Justin Verlander and then you look ahead to a potential playoff series too, you know, whether it's the wild card because the Rays win the division or, or if you get through the wild card, yeah, you don't really want to see the Orioles uh, get better, but it could be heading that way. Uh, ben Nicholson Smith. Thanks for taking the time out this morning, man. I'm sure I will uh, bug you lots throughout the day. You got it. And one thing I just see, see here on Twitter, John Heyman saying that there's a mystery team on Verlander and it's the Padres. So look at that. No longer a mystery. Boom. That's all right, Blake. Have a good one. Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet.ca. Make sure you're checking out all his work, Shai's work, Arden's work, uh, David Singh's work up at Sportsnet.ca uh, throughout today, throughout the week as we digest deadline stuff. Um, before we take a break, a good question from Chad on Twitter. Um, he said, why not go big and make a deal with the Mets for Lindor and an outfielder? Lindor can slide to second base next season if Whit leaves. Now, it, it's funny that that question specifically comes up because some a friend asked me yesterday, what is the like absolute crazy scenario that's not on the table that like they go on tilt here. And I actually said Lindor as a, as a name. Now I don't think that that is not something this a way this front office operates. I think the several hundred millions still owed to Francisco Lindor through 2031. Uh, the fact that he's already, you know, started to show signs of decline with the bat a little bit. He's rounded around um, over the last little bit, but you know, uh, some decline with the bat there as well. I don't think that's a realistic one for this front office, but I do think it's a, it's a really fun thing to think on where, you know, you get some shortstop help. You, you figure out that second base position and yeah, maybe it doesn't cost you a ton in prospect capital because just ahead of Lindor's 30th birthday here, uh, the Mets want a do over on that contract. Fun to think about. Don't think it's at all something this particular front office would consider let's take a break let's talk a little more orioles with alex fast uh he works for espn mass and mlb network he is one of the fantasy baseball kings of baseball twitter also a big orioles guy so we'll see how he's feeling about this series we'll tee up tonight's game we'll see if he thinks there's any chance uh, of justin verlander to the orioles we'll also get his impressions of the jays who he called and quote the team that scared me most in the al east Alex Fast joins us next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. 
I'm Blake Murphy. Jays and Orioles, uh, despite all the deadline focus and Bo Bichette injury focus, they're still playing a whole series here at Rogers Center. The Orioles win the first game of that four-game set, 4-2 to two, last night. Uh, joining us now for the Orioles side of this series, for the Orioles side of the trade deadline, he's VP of the pitchers list, uh, hosts the Alex Fast Show. He's also pops up at ESPN, Mass, and MLB Network, Tout Wars everywhere. Alex Fast, all-around smart guy. How are you this morning, buddy? I'm living the dream. You guys are playing the Mars Volta into a baseball conversation. Like, what, what's going on here? That's a, that's a dream come true right there. I do my research, man. I'm uh, look. I, I could dabble with the Mars Volta. I just gotta gotta get something to to set your energy right here, man. I gotta ask. Um, from last night's game, before we do the deadline stuff, uh, what is Austin Hayes's problem? That that felt like a really unkind catch to make. The Jays had lost Bo Bichette. Uh, they put a couple runners. That just felt kind of rude. It, it was, and trust me, I don't think anyone in Baltimore was necessarily anticipating that that was going to happen. Baltimore baseball most, most recently has been a lot of nail biters. It's been a lot of stress, even with that 9-3 to blowout on Sunday Night Baseball against the Yankees. There was a bases-loaded moment in like the second inning where it just felt like this is all going to crumble, and our bullpen is so incredibly depleted. So I think a lot of us were anticipating that that catch was not going to be made. And trust me, we were just as shocked as you were. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was, it was – I even showed it to my wife after, and she was like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I was like, yeah, this is – you don't see this every day. So one of the the things you you kind of mentioned though that Orioles fans uh, you know in a in a tight game like that with the bullpen depleted maybe looking for the other shooter drop now they've done a pretty good job in close games against the Blue Jays this year and I think a guy that Blue Jays fans would like to no longer see much of is Felix Batista and his fifty eight or fifty point eight rather percent strikeout rate now there were a couple of of calls yesterday Jays fans and John Schneider were mad about let's set that aside for right now but in general. Felix Batista being this nasty, what goes into this level of effectiveness? We're talking about a sub one ERA and striking out literally more than half the batters he faces. Yeah, it's been an absolutely dominant stretch for him. I don't think he actually gave up a single earned run in July, <laughs> if I recall correctly, which I, which is unbelievable. So one of the things that makes him so incredibly unique is he has the second highest release point in all of baseball. He's already about six foot six, uh, and they call him the mountain for a reason. And he releases the ball nearly seven feet above the ground. It's the highest release point for any reliever. And like I said, second highest release point behind a name that the Orioles are currently attached to and Justin Verlander. Quick side note, if they did acquire Justin Verlander, they would have the first second and third highest release points in all of baseball between Verlander, Bautista, and Tyler Wells, but I digress. Bautista <laughs> releases that four-seam super, super high, and even though it's a little bit of what we call a steep four-seamer, it gets elite rise or carry or vert or ride, whatever you want to refer to it as. It drops less than any other four-seam in all of baseball. You add that to the fact that it's coming in at 102 miles an hour, Oh, and by the way, he's got a splitter that's really, really nasty, and he just becomes incredibly difficult to hit. The splitter is a little bit inconsistent in terms of command, but when he's operating with it, it's almost like Nate Pearson last night. Nate Pearson threw, I think, six or seven consecutive four-seamers. And when you have a four-seamer that's that good, that has that much velo, it benefits all of your secondary pitches, and that's what we see a lot with Felix Batista. And on top of all of that, he's also being – 
physically close to him. Uh, he is like one of the widest baseball players I've ever seen. I just imagine <laughs> the combination of all of these things. You know the velocity reading. He's coming in on you with, with the good extension and things like that. And then he's also like a really imposing mound presence. Like that is how you want to design a closer. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I'll say this, though, just to, to make sure that people know that I try to remove as much bias as possible. What's difficult for him is because he's, you know, he's a bigger guy, he cannot hold runners whatsoever. Mm. So what's dangerous is, and even with an 102-mile-an-hour fastball that's getting to Adley or James McCann relatively quick, if, if base runners get on like they did last night, now I don't think they really wanted to steal because they had some good guys coming up and maybe they wanted to take advantage of that, but he, he's, it's easy to steal a base against him because of that. Yeah, 15 stolen bases against him over the the last two years, which is a a pretty high for a reliever with 120 innings or so. Okay, Alex, so you mentioned a a name there in comparing Felix Batista, and that name is is Justin Verlander. So we've heard uh, some rumblings over the course of the morning and late last night that the Orioles are interested in Justin Verlander. That would be a departure from what the strategy's been so far, either because they'd have to outlay a lot of money to you know, absorb the rest of that contract, or if it's similar to the Max Scherzer deal from the Mets, um, to to save a little bit of the money, you're giving up a, a pretty intriguing prospect. This feels, as much as it makes a lot of sense and is a lot of fun on paper, feels a little bit out of character for the Orioles front office. What was your reaction to to hearing those rumblings? Yeah, I mean. I would be surprised if they did end up making that move. I would be happy, but like Justin Verlander, if we remove the name for a second, has not necessarily been as dominant, right? I mean, listen, am I going to be unhappy if the Baltimore Orioles get Justin Verlander? Of course not. But there are signs that showed up this year that he is a 40-year-old pitcher who, you know, of course had a dominant, you know, well-deserving Cy Young season last year, but the velocity on the four-seamer is trending in the wrong direction, and, you know, he's starting to give up a little bit more contact on that four-seamer as a result. The curveball has one of the higher batting averages against. I think it's the highest batting average against for him since, like, 2013 or maybe even a career high, to be honest. Uh, No, since 2014, excuse me. So that concerns me a little bit. It would be nice to have that kind of, uh, you know, leader in the clubhouse that's currently Kyle Gibson, and apparently he's been doing a fantastic job as that kind of veteran presence. But it's no secret that the Orioles are are struggling, and it's not going to necessarily get easier for them because of the lack of depth that they have right now at starting pitcher. You're going to have career high innings for Tyler Wells, even though he's in double A, I imagine. You know, they're already starting to have to reconcile that, that issue right now. Dean Kramer's going to have career-high innings. Kyle Bradish, career-high innings. Grayson Rodriguez, career-high innings. So if you are going to get someone, you need someone who's going to be able to have a good amount of you know uh, throws in that arm. The good thing about Verlander, despite the velocity, just 94 innings, right? So he should be able to go strong for you for the rest of the way. But I don't want people to think, oh, they're going to get Verlander. He's prime Verlander. It's not necessarily the case right now for him. It's not. And then you also have to look long term that Verlander has uh, that option for 2025 that if he pitches enough next year, locks in as a $35 million player option for 2025 when he would be 42. Now, of course, if if that locks in, that means he's been pitching pretty well and he's been upright for you. Uh, but it's still $35 million for a 42-year-old at that point. And this Orioles front office has not operated as if that's 
their type of move. Now, maybe they could look a little less name value in this starting pitching market. Uh, a couple names from the Detroit Tigers that are out there, Eduardo Rodriguez, Michael Lorenzen. Are, are those moves that fit a little bit more with, with what we think the Orioles front office ethos is? Probably. I, I think so. I mean, it would be very funny to have Eduardo Rodriguez back because I believe he was originally drafted by the Baltimore Orioles before he was, he was sent off. But that, that would be kind of interesting to see. Um, I think that is a little bit more in line with them. I think they're going to be looking for something that's a little bit more crafty, right? Like think of the Shintaro Fujinami trade, a guy who, you know, on paper, people are like, what are we doing? He's got an eight ERA, but... They, of course, know that the fastball fits, you know, the third or fourth highest average four-seam velocity, and it's like the third or fourth highest average splitter velocity, and they said, okay, we're, we're going to make it work with this guy. I also, like, there's just something inside of me that says maybe there could be some surprise for a young, controllable starter. I think the Orioles are not necessarily interested in a rental at the moment. They don't want to take, you know, as Michael Elias said, we're not trying to blow up our farm system right now, um, and nor should they be. But if they can move two or three of their top 100 prospects and include a big name to get a young pitcher who has controllable years for the next three or four years, I'm just not ruling that out. I'm kind of like, I don't know. I just think maybe there could be something that happens at the end of the day that surprises us a bit. I I wouldn't, I guess I was about to say I wouldn't be surprised by being surprised, which is a bit of a paradox, but there we are. It's the trade deadline and it's a three hour show and we end up, uh, we end up tripping on things. Okay. So I wanted to, to turn to the other side of this series, Alex, and ask about your impressions of blue Jays, because you tweeted coming into this series that the team that scared you the most in the American league East was the Toronto blue Jays. And that was before the addition of Jordan Hicks. Now, Bo Bichette's injury yesterday is kind of hanging over us right now. We're not really sure what, what the severity is there, how that's going to shake out. But what led you to feel that way about the Jays entering this series, that they are, to you, as someone focused on the Orioles, the scariest other team in the American League East? Well, I, I think, you know, it's so difficult to find, like, huge warts for that team. I mean, like, sure, I'm sure that, you know, you guys are diehard Blue Jays fans and a lot of your listeners are diehard Blue Jays fans, and I'm sure they feel that there are plenty of warts with that team. But it's the second best uh, overall ERA in baseball, right, when you're combining starters and relievers. If you're looking just at starters, I still think it's a top 10 ERA in all of baseball. It's actually fourth best in terms of starters. If you're looking at offense, it is a top 10 WRC plus in terms of offense. If you're looking at reliever ERA, even though that's certainly a flawed metric because of inherited runners, it's the second best uh, reliever ERA in all of baseball, not just in the division, in all of baseball. So you're talking about a top 10 team in super pertinent metrics. I know at the beginning of the season, Toronto necessarily wasn't able to be consistent, right? It seemed like they were quite streaky. They would lose five out of eight or whatever, and then they would catch fire, and then it would just kind of back and forth. But recently, this has been the team that's been kind of putting it all together and fighting to stay alive, right? And doing all of this without major contributions from George Springer, who you know is not necessarily going to stay this way over the course of the season. I'm sure he's going to be able to refine his form. And if he goes back to being the George Springer that he can be, that's absolutely fantastic. In, in, in the playoffs, you don't need a four or five starter necessarily, right? It's about your one, two, three punch. You obviously have a certifiable ace in Kevin Gosman, right? 
Chris Bassett obviously didn't have it yesterday, but he can be a number two or a number three. Yusei Kikuchi has been absolutely fantastic of late. Even Jose Barrios, right? Even Alex Manoa have been making some strides. But all you need is someone to go five, six innings to get you to the back end of that bullpen. And I know Jordan Romano's currently on the IL with lower back inflammation, but if he comes back in September, no pun intended, and we're talking about having to go through Eric Swanson, Jordan Hicks, and, you know, Yumi Garcia, even though they haven't been as effective in the past couple of days, I know Genesis Cabrera has been a little bit better. That That's a that's a, a really good team. And there's a lot of flaws in the AL East with other teams. And I don't know, if Toronto can get hot and stay hot, that's a force to be reckoned with. And a lot, look, a lot of that hinges on, hey, getting some good news back on Bo Bichette today. But yeah, it's always it's always interesting to do the show where a couple hours a day you live and die with every little wart with the Blue Jays like you framed it. And then you hear a national person come on and they're like, yeah, terrified of the Blue Jays if things click. Um, Alex, you, you tweeted out the standings yesterday as well. Uh, there are five division races that are still very much up for grabs. There are two wild card races that are very, very tight. The National League one has five teams tied for wild card spots uh, right now. Orioles aside, what team are you most curious about the rest of the way today here six hours out from the deadline? Oh, it's a great question. I'm really curious to see what happens in the NL Central. I think that Milwaukee-Cincinnati race is going to be a lot of fun. Milwaukee is about to get a huge piece back in Brandon Woodruff, right? But Cincinnati, theoretically, going to get Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green back. Obviously, that division isn't necessarily as competitive as, you know, the, the, the AL East or the AL West. But I don't know. I think there's a really interesting stretch that's going to happen down the line, and I'm curious to see what both of those teams do if Cincinnati can kind of keep this alive. The thing about young teams, right, is sometimes they don't have that experience, right? I mean, maybe they have a veteran presence, and this is true of the Orioles as well. Uh, Maybe they don't necessarily have a veteran presence that's going to be able to keep them grounded throughout the remainder of the year. Curious to see how they're going to deal with adversity. Even the NL West is going to be really fascinating. Arizona, of course, fallen off a little bit after a lot of fantastic early season success. But the fact that the Dodgers, the Giants, and Arizona are three and a half games within one another right now, not to mention San Diego, who at any moment could theoretically get hot. Uh, I mean, they would need to have a little better base running from Juan Soto, which they sadly didn't have last night. But if they're going to stay put, which it seems like they are, and not be sellers, they are prime to play spoilers. I don't think any team, regardless of if San Diego is in or out of the playoffs, would want to be playing San Diego to have them determine their playoff fate if you catch my trip. So those are two races I think I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to, and they should be a lot of fun. Not to mention Texas versus Houston. This is great. It's just good for the sport, too, right? Like, at the end of the day, five out of six divisions that are separated by fewer than two and a half games, at some point, you just got to sit back, relax, and enjoy the fact that we have competitive baseball, and it's so much fun to watch. And, oh, by the way, the greatest player any of us will ever watch is now only three games out of the playoffs as well in Shohei Otani and the Angels. I, I doubt they've got the gas to get there, but it's still fun to see. Uh, man, that got me very, very fired up for the next two months here, Alex. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. Oh, man. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. I appreciate it. Alex Fast of the pitchers list of the Alex Fast Show, ESPN, Masson, MLB Network, pretty much wherever you're consuming smart baseball stuff, uh, you'll find Alex Fast. Also, if you're a fantasy player, he's a great follow for that because he's uh, he's kind of on, on top of that. I believe he's even won some fantasy sports writing writers association 
awards for his work in the fantasy sphere. Uh, so make sure to check him out. Okay. We've got an hour left because we're running an extended show today. Arden Zwelling's going to join us on the other side. We've kind of kept the back part of the show open because uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if there would be transactions. We didn't know if there would be a Boba Shed update. We'll continue to stay lean for that. But in the event that we don't get that kind of news, you can send us your text to 590-590. We'll mailbag the back part of the show a little bit. We've obviously got uh, a lot left over from the last week or two. We'll continue to take your, your questions, though, so text those in to 590-590. We'll also take a look ahead to tonight's matchup be- between Kyle Bradish and the returning Hyunjin Ryu. If you're hungry for more of that before we get to it, Chris Black, our, our pal and our regular here at Down to Black on Twitter, has a, a nice thread up on Hyunjin Ryu's changeup and why that could be uh, difficult for this particular Baltimore Orioles team to deal with. Maybe we get a Bobochet update in the next segment as well. I don't know if this is something that the team is going to put out there or we're going to be left to dangle until the deadline a little later, but we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Maybe Arden Zwelling has heard something, not going to put him on the spot because he's kind of an intimidating guy and I don't want to upset him, but uh, Arden Zwelling joins us next. We'll see how he's feeling about the Bobochet situation as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Waiting on news, waiting on trade news, waiting on Boba Shett news, waiting on, uh, I don't know, my continual looks at the Fangraphs leaderboards for a second baseman and shortstop to produce one infielder who can hit and defend and might be available. It's Slim Pickens. Uh, we're joined now by Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. How are you, buddy? Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. Waiting, like everyone else. Uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot for news that isn't out there yet. Uh, but what was your read on the the Bobachet situation late last night down at the park? Uh, uncertain, definitely. I uh, I love the spot that I end up in on the broadcast because when Bo goes down, I'm thinking immediately. Well, there's zero strategic advantage for the Blue Jays to put out any kind of information about this whatsoever. So here comes the most blase update, and sure enough, <laughs> right knee discomfort, which like there was probably uh, 18 players on that field last night experiencing discomfort in some fashion. Uh, it's like when teams tell us that a guy has inflammation. We all have inflammation. Everybody has inflammation at all times. So it really doesn't tell us much. Uh, and then after the game, um, my sense just from talking to players was that even they were still waiting to hear updates and to hear um, what the results of the imaging were and further testing and, and whether this is going to be a short, medium, or long-term thing for Bo Bichette. Chris Bassett spoke to that effect. And, you know, Shy and I talked to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as well after the game, and, and he said that he was, you know, crossing his fingers and then being hopeful that, that things were going to be, uh, that, that it was going to be a good prognosis for Bichette. So I don't think even people uh, in the room had a very good idea after the game last night. Now, you mentioned that there's no strategic advantage to releasing that information ahead of time. Now, the trade deadline, though, is 6 o'clock, and we're all going to be in that clubhouse uh, before 
six o'clock. W- would you imagine that we, we have a sense or are they going to probably bite their lips as long as they can here? I think the Blue Jays will keep us purposefully vague for as long as it suits them. So which uh, what I expect. Which is at least 6.01 p.m. So uh, there we go. I, I mean, we'll probably get some sort of taxi squad or something, but that doesn't always, uh, that's precautionary and things like that. Okay, so Arden, let's, let's play through a couple scenarios here. So we had obviously already been talking about potential infield additions that people seem to be, agnostic about what position specifically the Blue Jays would add a piece at the deadline, but everyone seemed to be in agreement that they should be looking at bats. Ross Atkins had talked about, yeah, they're they're still looking at a a number of different things for you, even dealing with some uncertainty here in terms of the severity. Does this nudge you more toward getting someone who can fill in an infield spot or is it still just make your team better in any way possible? I think it definitely changes the calculus. And the Blue Jays were looking at middle infielders before uh, Bo Bichette went down, just as they were looking at high-leverage relievers before Jordan Romano went down. So these are things that have been in the works for a while. And does um, the nature of Bo Bichette's absence, if hypothetically it's a medium or long-term one, does that shift your preference list is all of a sudden does a DeYoung or an Anderson leap above uh, a Thomas or a, uh, I guess can is off the market now or, or a fam um, maybe, right? Cause the blue Jays, if, if they know that it's going to be a medium to long-term absence, I think they absolutely need to be bolstering their middle infield depth unless they feel really, really strongly about their ability to backfill that position internally uh, but I just looking at the options right now, I can't imagine that they do. No, it doesn't seem that way. You know, Santiago Espinal has obviously taken a step back uh, with the bat this year by my eye test at second base. And I think some of the metrics would agree a step back defensively there, whether that translates to shortstop or not, uh, we'll see. And then names like Addison Barger or Elvis Martinez, Leo Jimenez, they'd probably prefer them to continue to develop in the minors. Uh, Do you have a sense of, you know, if they did have to go to that route, even in the short term, who the next man up would be? The funny thing is, like, on an emergency basis, Matt Chapman is the next man up. Yes. If it was a, uh, you know, late-game situation, I've, I've talked to people about that. Like, the Blue Jays would be comfortable throwing Matt Chapman over uh, at shortstop. That's obviously not a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're thinking long-term, I think you're thinking, well, what are we prioritizing? Are we prioritizing defense or are we prioritizing offensive thump? So if you feel good about Santiago Espinal handling the majority of shortstop work uh, defensively, most day, you know, more days than not, then you might feel like, okay, let's go with the bat. Like, let's go with the Davis Snyder or let's go with the Addison Barger, like somebody who's capable of being at least a, a league average hitter at the big league level. If you're thinking that you need to prioritize defense, then Leo Jimenez is absolutely the guy because that's a guy who um, you know people will tell you is MLB ready defensively. Right now, it's just the bat that maybe isn't quite there, and it might be less realistic that he could be an average MLB contributor offensively, certainly less realistic than it would be with a Schneider or, or a Barger. So you, you would have to just kind of make the decision going forward is how you project your lineups to look what you think you're going to be getting defensively from Santiago Espinal 
and what kind of options you want to give John Schneider on his bench late in games. Yeah, and, you know, there's always the possibility, too, that those options, hey, it ends up being an Ernie Clement or Otto Lopez, which is not nearly as sexy as those other ones. And really, to me, doesn't seem to solve either thing offensively or defensively, but those are guys on the 40-man who have positional versatility. Uh, so maybe we see that now. Arden, the, the topic of the day is, of course, the trade deadline. And you mentioned they'd been looking at middle infield types even before the Bo Bichette thing. Are there any names that you personally ha- have kind of found yourself looking at more and thinking could be a fit here, given what we know about the front office, given what we know about a, a thin infield market? Honestly, nobody outside the names that I'm sure you've been citing throughout your entire show, whether it's a DeYoung or an Anderson uh, on the infield and then in the outfield, uh, yeah, I'm no longer looking at Canho, who's a guy who I thought was a really good fit. I mean, we've talked about Tommy Sam, Teoscar Hernandez, like there, you know, there, there's some legs there to that, and to mm-hmm. a potential reunion, and it would be really, really fascinating and interesting to watch it play out. I think there's something to be said to um, acquiring somebody via trade who's familiar with your environment, familiar with your clubhouse, and who wouldn't have as much of an adjustment process and assimilation process. I think back to last year and what Whit Merrifield went through when he was traded to the Blue Jays after playing his entire career with the Royals and trying to find his role and then hit the ground running with the Blue Jays and adjust to not being an everyday guy anymore and batting different batting order positions and playing more sporadically. And he struggled with that in a in a major way. And then he comes back in 2023 and has been like a really critical contributor for this club and has played a lot closer to his potential. So when you're acquiring somebody like Hernandez, who is already familiar with your market and your staff and his new old teammates, uh, I think that removes a lot of that possibility for there being a, a slump coming off of uh, off of a trade. So, look, if, if, if you're going to miss Bo Bichette for medium to long term, and we don't know that yet, but if that's going to happen... I mean, you need to acquire some sort of thump. Like, you need to acquire, in my opinion, somebody who is offensively capable beyond just um, an Anderson, honestly, who has not been having a a fantastic year, or beyond whatever the corner outfield right-handed hitting bat you were looking at who was going to platoon and maybe play three to four times a week. I think you need to acquire somebody who could, hey, get hot and have like a 900 OPS for a month. Like, I think you need to acquire somebody who could hit 10 home runs between now and the end of the season. Uh, And when I look at a super thin position player market, when I look at some very limited inventory in terms of offensive players available right now, Teoscar Hernandez, is that's a name that, that I continue to come back to. And he's a guy who, at the very least, despite a, a cold season, you know, like you said, had a very hot, I think it was the month of June, he was red hot. He has continued to crush lefties even during his uh, his struggles and, and for whatever value there is there, two teams that are familiar with each other from making a recent deal. I, I don't know, maybe they, I, everyone has made this joke, Arden, but maybe the Mariners have some interest in Adam Mako as a pitching prospect going back uh, the other way. Do you do you subscribe? And I think I know your answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you subscribe at all to, you know, the clubhouse boost element of any deal here down the stretch? It seemed like Jordan Hicks was a fit right away. He's a guy who gets strong reviews as a, a clubhouse presence. Teoscar Hernandez being added back into the mix there, a guy we know was very well liked in that clubhouse. Do, do you put any weight into that at all? Or does this have to be a pure on the field approach for you? Well, I think regardless of 
player, like there is a boost in a clubhouse when you're adding a significant impactful piece at the deadline. I think everybody who was there at the Rogers Center yesterday felt that around the Blue Jays, around the clubhouse, that everybody's spirits were were lifted. Uh, and it's funny how quickly things went 180 <laughs> in a matter of hours as the Blue Jays lost in the spiriting fashion and Bo Bichette got hurt and everything that happened in that game. But, I mean, when, when you make a move like this, it absolutely has a positive vibe impact on on your clubhouse regardless of whether it's uh you know a guy who's familiar with with your team and your staff and who everybody seems to enjoy uh it's i just think that when you are adding and bolstering and making your team better and bringing in somebody who isn't just going to be like the like ernie clements of this world but somebody who could play every day and could make a really big impact i think that has uh, a, a definitely there are there are positive reverberations that run through a clubhouse after that I, I would think so as well. And yeah, someone's going to lose a little bit of playing time, but if it means everyone gets to play a little longer in the playoffs, I, I think guys can, uh, can stomach that also a bit of a cascade effect. The higher, the higher up you aim in trade, the more holes it solves because then you have, you know, say a Dalton Varsho more available off the bench, uh, off the bench more often because someone else is taking those plays. Um, so, you know, in terms of where to use the assets from here, Arden, I, I think, you know, we, we both sound pretty firmly on the position player side to close the book on the, the pitching side, though, the addition of Jordan Hicks, even with the Jordan Romano injury, um, you know, they're going to run a short bullpen here for a little bit. We don't know the move, but Hyunjin Ryu will be activated tonight and he'll start. They'll go to a seven man bullpen that includes Swanson, Garcia, Richards, Meza, Hicks, Cabrera, and then a seventh guy holding the spot until Romano's back are is your confidence level pretty high in this bullpen and is your confidence level high that they're done tweaking the bullpen it was a good bullpen before they added jordan hicks it was leading the majors in the strikeout minus walk rate which to me is one of the most critical statistics when it comes to relievers it was top five in era and win probability added and xfip and a whole bunch of other acronyms that people Mm -hmm. like you and i like to throw around so it was a good bullpen before they added a guy who throws 104 with a sweeper that gets like a 60% whiff rate so uh like i just think that absolutely this is a very strong bullpen for the Blue Jays. It's a bullpen that's well set up for the postseason if everybody is healthy and effective. Um, the things I, the thing I love about like the, the Hicks edition, beyond just the fact that he throws hard as hell and misses a ton of bats, is how flexible he is. Just talking to people around the Jays yesterday, I was asking, you know, is there any trepidation of using him on back-to-backs? The answer was no. Is there any trepidation with like using him for two innings at a time? The answer was no. This is a guy who like you can use in a lot of different ways and who I think would have a lot of utility for you in the postseason. Um, and he's a guy who I think is going to pitch a lot for the Blue Jays down the stretch uh, and then definitely a lot if they are going through multiple postseason rounds. So I just think that his versatility uh, is just something that goes even beyond um, what we're talking about with a guy who has absolutely like best in baseball phenomenal velocity and stuff. I think there's a lot of cool ways the Blue Jays can use them. Uh, how excited did you get from a like writer perspective? I, I know your duties, you, you bounce around so much, but he, he strikes me very much as an Arden's Welling deep dive candidate. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if I was in a different role, it's not my focus 
right now, but yeah, it's definitely something I would have done in a, uh, in a past life for sure. In a past life. Um, okay. So the other side of that is that Hyunjin Ryu will be um, activated tonight. Our guy Bowden Francis did a, a pretty good job last night and has continued to, uh, I'd imagine he's probably back down to the minors here. Um, what, what do you think are reasonable expectations for Ryu here? Now the Orioles are a tough landing spot. They're a team that, you know, has struggled against change up oriented lefties. I, I, I don't know that any of that is front of mind so much as it is just Hyunjin Ryu's first outing in 13 and a half months. Um, what, what do you think is a reasonable level set for, for Hyunjin Ryu here? It's funny because you almost have to start over with him because I don't even know how relevant what he was doing in 2022 when he was pitching through like significant arm mm-hmm. discomfort is to what we're going to see tonight. And so then you go back to 2021 and that's really ancient history, right? So you almost just have to like start blank slate with him and not really have any expectations or preconceived notions and just see how he performs and where his velocity is at and what he's featuring in terms of off speeds and how often he's using his change up and his curve ball, like, um, you know, how the cutter is kind of playing against, uh, you know, righties for, for the Orioles or, you know, whatever lefties that they're going to naturally have in there as well. Um, like I'm just almost starting just clean slate with Hunjin Ryu and, and seeing how he looks reasonable expectation, two trips through five innings, ideally, I think the Blue Jays would be very happy with that, you know, 90 pitches, uh, maybe close to 100, but maybe not. Um, I, I think that those, that would be a reasonable expectation. And if you can contain the Orioles at two or three runs over that span, uh, I think you're happy if you're, uh, you're the Blue Jays. Yeah, well, your bullpen has continued to kind of hold things down for you. So, um, you know, those outings where your starter only goes five innings have been pretty effective ones for you as a team, as long as you can uh, you can get the bats going. Uh, Arden, curious, when you look around the rest of baseball here, it's the deadline for everyone, not just for the Blue Jays. Is there a team that you find yourself pretty curious about over these next six hours or so someone that you you think you know could could make a move and materially affect how things look for the blue jays even though it's maybe not a blue jays trade it's a lot of those murky middle teams really i I haven't recalculated this today but i know that yesterday there were 21 teams in baseball that were either currently in postseason position or within five games of postseason position. Like, and that's kind of why this market has been so uh, weird and has been such a such a seller's market, really, because uh, there are so many teams that can make a legitimate case that they can go on a run and get into the playoffs. The other thing that uh, is impacting this is that it's a pretty weak free agent class upcoming and an upcoming free agent class and a current trade market are two things that are very related to one another and very connected to one another. So like all that stuff is sort of conspiring to make this market weird and to make it a position where we sit here right now and like, who's the best position player that's even been moved to this point? Canha, uh, Santana, right? Like there's just the, you're just not seeing hitters move right now. Um, and Scherzer obviously would be the best starter this move to this point. We'll see if we get a Verlander one as well. But so I'm just really kind of curious about some of those murky middle teams that are within that like five game range of the postseason. Do they buy? 
do they sell? Are there teams that haven't been posturing as sellers to this point that suddenly do become sellers and suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, the New York Yankees are are trading mm-hmm. players away. Or it's like, oh hey, the, the Padres all of a sudden are putting a bunch of talent on the market. Um, the, those are the teams that I kind of look at as like, hmm, like what's going to What's going to happen here? Because those are the teams that have a lot of talent and could really tilt a market that hasn't had a ton of inventory on it to this point and suddenly flood it with a bunch. And then to to go full circle with where we started, yeah, the Jays get Aaron Judge and Juan Soto, and, and then they're uh, <laughs> then they're cooking it. And all Arden had it first, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Arden, thanks for taking the time out, man. I know it's a busy day. Uh, have fun down at the park later. Yeah, take it easy, man. Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Uh, he'll be down dug outside for the game tonight. That game tonight, by the way, as we mentioned, the, the return of Hyunjin Ryu, he'll go opposite Kyle Bradish. The rest of the series lined up as Yusei Kikuchi against Grayson Rodriguez and then Kevin Gosman against a question mark, a TBA for the Baltimore Orioles. That was originally uh, the Tyler Wells spot. He's down in double A now, which kind of highlights why the Orioles are so fascinating as a potential buyer here, not to overdo the Orioles talk on a blue Jays show, but the Jays are playing against them right now. And they're the team that the Jays are chasing in the American league East. They're the team with the most assets to put into the middle from a farm system standpoint. They're the team with the most obvious uh, need at the start at the front end of the rotation. Yeah. Kyle Gibson, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, all those guys have been some degree of solid, but it is a little weird that not weird, just, I guess something the Orioles should probably address that while they could believe themselves to be better and have a better lineup than most American league teams they'll face in the playoffs. It's hard to imagine a postseason series where they'd be more comfortable with the way the starting pitching matchups look on paper. Uh, that doesn't always play out in a way that, you know, the team with the better starters on paper doesn't always win. But I do think that the Orioles, uh, more than just about anyone else, could stand to benefit from an addition at the front end of the rotation. Now, we'll see if they agree. We'll see if they have the aggression to push chips in uh, to that effect. It's a pretty quiet morning in terms of rumors and rumblings. Now, you you maybe expect that if the teams, if you're a seller and you haven't gotten that early mover advantage and it's 1220, why wouldn't you wait until closer to six o'clock and see what else happens? Uh, we've heard that that's probably the approach from the Detroit Tigers with Eduardo Rodriguez and Michael Lorenzen. Uh, so maybe we don't get any little nibbles or anything like that uh, as this show continues to one o'clock as a programming note, Ben Ennis is going to have drive time for you from one to 4 PM expended hours for him as well. And then Blair and Barker will have you from four to seven. So through the deadline there, uh, Blair and Barker will be ushering you through. So a lot of coverage, no matter when it happens, I'll be a little, uh, you know, my feelings will be hurt that it doesn't happen during our show, but what can you do? Maybe could we even get like a little deal, like the Trent Thornton for Mason McCoy, uh, someone purchases Mitch White off of DFA waivers, uh, you know, Zach Thompson gets dealt from the AAA depth or something like that. Give me a little nibble in the next uh, 40 minutes or so. We'll take a break. Um, I want to hear from you guys in, in this last segment. How are you feeling about Boba Shett? How are you feeling about the deadline priorities right now. Um, I, I know a bunch of you in the text line to 590, 590 are just throwing names out there, which is fine as well. Um, but, you know, 
thinking more strategically. How are you feeling uh, ahead of this? Because we have talked about, I think pretty much every name in baseball other than Tony Kemp and Tony Kemp can't play shortstop. So even if he was on your second base slash outfield list, he might not be now in the wake of Bo Bichette's injury. Uh, but yeah, keep them coming. Keep them coming to 590, 590 uh, mailbag until we get some news in the uh, 1230 block as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Been a... Not a dud of a deadline morning so far, but not a lot going on. Not a lot getting reported. Uh, Not even a whole lot of rumors to nibble on. There were two very, very tiny deals featuring a bunch of guys who you'll never think of again. Uh, Tucker Davidson got purchased by the Royals from the Angels. If you're wondering what Mitch White's future might look like, hey, guy just DFA'd off the 40 man who a bad team wants to kick the tires on and see if they can get anything out of for next to nothing. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Uh, There's also a flipping of minor leaguers from the Rays and the Cubs with some international pool money involved. Now, that's today. There have been some big moves in general, moves that have an impact on the Toronto Blue Jays because of of who's around them. Of course, Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays picking up Aaron Savale for the number five prospect in their system. That's not nothing. Uh, Savale probably slots in if they're healthy as the number four starter there in Tampa. Um, Someone who's having a a very good season has been pretty up and down over his career, but still an upgrade on the army of openers and bulk relievers that the Rays would otherwise trot out in that slot. It's been yesterday was mostly uh, a national league day. The Mariners did a little bit of selling with AJ Pollock, Mark Mathias and Paul Seawald uh, going to the NL to the Giants and the Diamondbacks, respectively. The Brewers ended up with Mark Canna, who was a potential Jays target. Um, the Cubs ended up with Jamer Candelario for a, a couple of fringy prospects. That's pretty much it since the weekend, which obviously had the Rangers loading up with Max Scherzer, Jordan Montgomery, Chris Stratton, uh, the Astros adding Kendall Graveman, the Dodgers adding Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly, the Angels chasing Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez with Randall Gritchick and CJ Crone. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot that's happened, but not a lot today. And I would imagine that whatever happens today, uh, it's look, it's going to be very interesting to try to take a step back and look at the state of the American league and how things feel around the Toronto blue Jays. It's Partially weird because we're probably going to have to do that without real certainty on Bo status. Still no updates there. Um, you know, unless this is anything anywhere between he's good to play tonight and he's out for the season, anything in between there leaves a lot of uncertainty. But also it's un- it's uncertain because the Jays aren't in control of, of a lot of this stuff. The Jays have no say if the Baltimore Orioles decide to go out, put Jordan Westberg and other prospects on the table and land Justin Verlander or Eduardo Eduardo Rodriguez or Michael Lorenzen. They have no control over if the New York Yankees decide to sell off pieces or decide to get some rentals to, to help out. They have no control over what teams in the AL West are doing as they jockey. 
all they can really control is their own stuff and they're not in control of Bo, the status of Bo Bichette's knee. Uh, so it's a, it's an anxious day, even if it's a, a fun and exciting one. To reset, the Jays lost 4-2 last night. They sit at 59-48 and 48 right now, so 11 games over 500. I have a pretty good run differential, fourth best in the American League. So if you're looking at some of the underlying stuff, they, they come out strong there as well. They're currently holding the third and final wild card spot. Now, they've fallen six and a half back in the division and five games back of Tampa for that top wild card. They could put a dent into that by taking care of the rest of this series against the Orioles. But for right now, they sit in the third wild card spot. Okay, if this was the final week of the season, I'd say the third wild card spot's a pretty good spot to be. It's preferable to the first and second wild card spot because you get the Minnesota Twins coming up. But this far away, with so much baseball left to be played, with four teams behind you within three and a half games, those teams being Boston, the Angels, the Yankees, and Seattle, uh, it's a little bit uncomfortable. The Bobachette knee discomfort obviously hangs over everything. And without an update on that, we kind of have to continue this last chunk of the show, just not knowing. We thought all along that the Blue Jays would be looking to add at least one more bat, someone with some positional ambiguity at one point, And now we think maybe positional versatility. You'd probably like someone else who can spot in at shortstop in a pinch. Um, but they were always supposed to be in the market for bad. I feel similarly to this as I felt about the Jordan Hicks edition in the wake of Jordan Romano's injury. I wanted them to be in the mix for another back-end bullpen arm anyway. So that's how their landscape looks. There are going to be big names around the league that get dealt today and have an impact on the Blue Jays without actually impacting the Blue Jays roster. That's just the way it is. Um, let's take a look at the text line and see how you guys are feeling. You can send those to 590, 590. We've got about 20 minutes here where, you know, we'll pivot if, if some news comes down, but right now it's been a, a quiet morning and it seems like Ben Ennis or Blair and Barker one to four and four to seven respectively. will get the, uh, the live trade reaction stuff. Infamous D on Twitter asked if I see a market where the Jays grab another starter, if they're content with the six they have uh, in this case, I think, Content with the six they have is is maybe not how I'd phrase it, but given the prices we're likely going to see on the very limited number of starters available on the market, Arden used the term inventory, there's not a lot of starter inventory out there. So that's a scenario where, or that's a situation where the asking price on those pieces, it's probably not going to be the best use of your assets, the best use of, of what you have to offer in trade, especially because of the six starters that you already have, yeah, upgrading a spot is always good, but Hyunjin Ryu is not going to get sent to the minors. He can't be optioned down. Alec Manoa, you would probably like to avoid that, although on merit, if, if it happens, it happens. Yusei Kikuchi is the only one of those names that you'd look at their profile and be like, yeah, that guy could be good in the bullpen. That could help out. Uh, and you're already a little tight on spots there. So I think, Infibisti, um, you are pretty focused on the hitter side of things the rest of the way, unless something you know unexpectedly high value drops into your lap. SJ asks where uh, Jordan Hicks ranks in the bullpen trust chart. Uh, I'd say, honestly, he's kind of the most flexible piece in that bullpen. Now, I, I think he's kind of what you were hoping earlier in the year. Nate Pearson would develop into a guy that you could pitch in leverage or ask the pitch 
pitch multiple innings. Hey, a starter is getting chased early, but the game's still in hand. Can he give you two innings to get you over? I think that you can now turn to Pearson, Richards, and Hicks for kind of that multi-inning look. You can turn to Hicks in the leverage mix as well. He has experience uh, getting saves. He has 20-plus saves in his career, uh, little parts of of three different seasons as a part-time closer, and obviously he has big, big swing and miss stuff. So, um, you know, I'd put him probably alongside Eric Swanson as the quote-unquote eighth-inning guy behind Jordan Romano. But with Hicks, there's a lot of flexibility given his ability to go multiple innings. This is a guy who was starting for a chunk of last year. So some real flexibility there, and I think that's part of uh, the draw. Sam asked if the Jays now have the strongest pitching lineup in the majors, if everyone's at full strength, uh, the six starters, a healthy Romano. Chad Green potentially coming back. Uh, Sam, I mean, it's it's a little hard to say here, a little bit out from the deadline because a, a few teams are going to make more moves. Um, I, I don't think the Jays' rotation is quite good enough to make the claim that you have the best pitching staff overall. I think they have a real case as potentially the best bullpen in baseball on paper right now. I, I think I'd probably have to look a little closer and maybe you start looking at, at Atlanta, if they get healthy, um, you know, well, Seattle's trading pieces off now, but they did have a a pretty effective bullpen uh, for a while there. I I think the Jays are are pretty high up there though. They have, they're the only bullpen in baseball with four guys with a 30% whiff rate or higher. So they have more swing and miss stuff than, than maybe anyone. And yeah, they don't have Felix Batista. They don't have Yoan Duran, that one, shut him down guy. And even Yoan Duran is, uh, you know, the ERA is not elite. It's a, uh, it's two sixty six. It's very, very good, but he's not good. Felix Batista. We're talking about like a 0.8 ERA. Uh, no, I don't think the Jays have the very best closer. I don't think the Jays have the best rotation, but I do think they have one of the best and deepest and most role flexible bullpens, which is a great place to be. Sam uh, Romy from Toronto asks if, if the, since the position player, market is so thin. What do you think of the Jays being sellers to load up on prospects and shed some salary? If Bo were to be out for the season, uh, thinking Chapman belt, Kiermaier and a bunch of other names. So I don't think they're going to do this. I, I also think if you were going to decide, Hey, Bo's injury is too serious. We can't compete. We should turn around and sell. Um, it's a little bit late to put that together. It, it's doable. Um, but something that you would be doing is not loading up on prospects. You would be looking at guys who can pencil in for next year. You'd be, you'd be looking to do what the Mariners are trying to do. You'd be looking to do what, you know, the, if the Padres turn around and sell what they'd be trying to do, if the Mets are selling what what they're trying to do, it's not about 20,000, 2026, 2027 value. It would be about guys who can help you uh, immediately. I think realistically, it's just too late for that. They're too far down the line. It is always, it's always an interesting thought experiment, um, but it's too far down the line and they're in a playoff spot. I I really do think the damage to that room and maybe even to the fan base of turning around while in a playoff spot and selling, uh, especially after you just bought would be uh, a tough one. Someone else asks, would it be crazy if the Jays decided to sell or at least stop buying if Bo has a season-ending injury? I think I think the stop buying is a more reasonable response than the sell. I think, again, it's too late to sell. You're in a playoff spot. That's a little tough. But if you decided it's not worth 
chasing good money with bad bows down for the season. We don't like our chances. We don't want to throw more prospects at the problem. I would get that. I wouldn't agree with it given that they're in a playoff spot and you know, the, the talking point has been, Hey, this team is better than the record indicates. Um, I, I still think it wouldn't be the best thing, but I would at least understand it uh, a little bit. Uh, we get a question from Josh on Twitter who asks uh, if Josh Naylor could be a nice corner outfield spot. The the Guardians uh, just got Manzardo, who who maybe slots in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, Josh Naylor has been one of the best hitters in baseball since the turn uh, at the end of May. He's hit like in the high 300s since then. Now he's a lefty and you can squabble with his, his defense probably. Um, they have used him for one inning in right field this year. And the rest has been at first base in DH. And if he's a lefty and he's that first base in DH type, um, you know, that's Brandon Belt's spot. And you could find a way to get plate appearances for both, but having them both in the lineup on the same day is basically impossible because they're not going to trust Naylor in a corner outfield. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is rarely coming out of uh, the lineup. So as much as I like Josh Naylor, unless the Jays feel significantly better about his corner outfield defense than the Cleveland guardians have, uh, it's tough to find a spot for him. It's a, it's a good question though, um, because he has been quite hot. Rob in London says he'd love to see Teo back with the Jays. He would revitalize the lineup, get back to last year's offense. How much could he possibly cost? I, I don't think he'll cost a ton. Um, you know, he's a, he's a guy who's about to be a free agent. He's firmly a rental. Um, the Mariners acquired him and did not work out an extension with him. He is coming off of a pretty rough season to date. So I don't think that he'd want to negotiate from a, a position of weakness either. He'd probably prefer to ride the season out, try to get hot and then hit the market. So the price tag will be that of a rental. Now there have been a couple rentals who went for a, a decent price tag. Now a, a couple of the rental hitters, I, I should be clear uh, were rentals that have option years and that can go both ways because Mark Canna, for example, um, the Mets paid down reportedly paid down his salary for this year in dealing him to the Brewers. The Brewers, though, are on the hook for if they pick up his option for next year or if they don't, there's a $2 million buyout. So the Brewers still paying a little bit of that. Um, but to get Marcana, who is a rental plus buyout, we'll say, costs the Brewers the number 12 prospect in their system. Again, prospect rankings or whatever, but to give you uh, a gauge of that. So somewhere in between Sam Robertson and Adam Klofenstein uh, in terms of where that that ranks. Um, the Aaron Savale... On the other hand, you know, he's a pitcher, so it's not a, a perfect comparison, but he costs the Rays their number five prospect. Now he has two and a half years of control. So you start to see how it gets pretty quickly into eye of the beholder and whose system is stronger than, than another system. All of that is to say, I don't think the asking price on Teoscar Hernandez would be particularly high. You're going to save the Mariners about four and a half million dollars uh, down the stretch here in prorated money. And yeah, you kick them back something uh, especially because they just gave up Eric Swanson and Adam Mako for him. But the Mariners are acting as if they are sellers for expiring contracts. So it's it's fun to think on. And I, I do think his ability to hit lefties is obvious. Even in a down year, he's hit lefties really well. Ryan from Stony Creek thinks Teoscar would add a power bat in the middle that they've been missing and a big morale boost to the clubhouse. Uh, yeah, I, I don't 
I don't think it would hurt. I know that he was a really well-liked teammate in that clubhouse. So I think that's a, that's a reasonable thought on it. Um, you know, I, I don't think you make the move just for the clubhouse element, but again, he's a guy who can mash lefties and, um, you know, how big the role would be. We'll see. I, I don't think the Jays love his defense. I think that's part of why he was an outbound piece. Um, but there are spots in left field. We saw Kevin Biggio in right field last night. That could be a, you know, a Teoscar game there. You spend some time at DH as the right-handed side of the Brandon belt position. You can figure where he would, uh, where he would make a lot of sense. No name. Uh, and please leave your name and location so we can shout you out. Uh, do you think the Jays might feel comfortable dealing one of Barrier or Tiedemann after going over slot on two pitchers early in this year's draft? Uh, I don't think that it's, um, I don't think that those things are really related. I think they kind of take their draft strategy. The draft, this draft is what it is. This draft is what it is. Um, also, they went over slot on uh, uh, the, the, player who is uh, a pitcher slash hitter. And yeah, they're going to f- have him focus on, on the pitcher side. Uh, but I think that was more about getting a talent um, than it, than it was, Hey, we can sacrifice Barriera who they went over slot for last year. or We can sacrifice Tiedemann who was potentially going to be in the major league mix here. Teams have to take a much wider view of things than, Hey, we signed guy X in the 2023 draft so we can move prospect in double a. I don't think those things are, are too related. I think they would just feel comfortable dealing a guy if it was the right trade. And you know, all indications are that uh, for them to move off of a Ricky Tiedemann type, especially in a year where he hasn't really pitched and he's only made two starts since he'd come back, uh, you'd be selling with a, a little bit of a lower value on him. Um, I just think it would have to be a really big addition for you to move your, your best pitching prospect. It has nothing to do with, with the draft. Um, someone asked about Aloy Jimenez. Uh, someone else asked about Ryan McCann. Yeah. McMahon. Sorry. Yeah. These are guys we've talked about now. Ryan McMahon has four years and 56 million left on his deal after this year. He's left-handed um, there's positional versatility, but that's kind of an expensive price tag for a guy who's never been a league average hitter. Uh, Aloy Jimenez has some interesting contract quirks that you have to be aware of. Um, I I also think, you know, the White Sox haven't really signaled if they're willing to sell longer term pieces. He has uh, $13 million owed next year, 16.5 million the year after 18.5 million the year after with uh, $3 million buyouts on each of those years. So um, kind of an escalating thing. Some good team side flexibility there. I love Aloy Jimenez, uh, despite the injury concerns. I think, yeah, he's a guy that you call on, but with three years of team control still, the price tag is going to be pretty significant. Um, someone asked about Jeff McNeil with the Mets. Again, like a lot of these names are are pretty interchangeable. You want to throw Tony Kemp out there who hits lefties really well, even though he doesn't play shortstop. Um, you know, McNeil's a guy who he's played shortstop for one inning this year. That was the only time in his career. I don't think he really helps you on the Bo Bichette side of things, but yeah, he's an upright guy with, with positional versatility. The fact that he's a left-handed hitter makes me feel a little less about it because it's kind of uh you're acquiring an older Kevin Biggio at that point. He's also owed pretty big money um, for a utility piece. The next couple of years, uh, 12 and a half million per all the way through 2026. So and he's already 31. 
he's probably on the too expensive side. I think you'd rather just roll with Kevin Biggio uh, at that point, even though McNeil is a, a slightly better defender and has a, a bit longer of a track record. Um, hasn't hit though in two of the last three seasons. And I, I'd have to dive in a little deeper on why that is beyond just Babbitt fluctuations. But that's a pretty big bet at age 31 with, uh, you know, three years and 50 million owed to him beyond this year that, that the bat's going to come back around. Um, and that person also suggested uh, if asked if Arelvis Martinez or Davis Schneider would be the cost. I'm, I'm not trading Arelvis Martinez for uh, Jeff McNeil. Uh, Ryan from East York says, uh, do the Jays have the prospect capital to acquire a name like Tim Anderson or Paul DeYoung? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, t- Tim Anderson is an expiring contract with either a reasonable team option for next year or a very small buyout. It's a rental piece. You have the prospect capital to get like t- Tim Anderson's price tag is not going to be commensurate with him having been an all-star a couple of times in the past. It would be commensurate with the fact that he's a rental and he's had a really bad year. And yeah, there's some upside and some name value there, but he's not a terrific defensive shortstop anymore. Um, he hasn't really hit this year at all. Now he's hitting better lately. He's hitting lefties. Well, I, I still think it's a reasonable play, but the prospect capital. Yeah, sure. Uh, you, you'd have that uh, for sure. Someone else says not convinced Anderson gives you anything. Espinal doesn't both hit lefties more than righties with minimal power and plus defense. Uh, not worth losing a piece. I'd argue about either of those guys being plus defense at this stage. Um, Tim Anderson, we'll, we'll see, you know, I think he could be plus if you moved him to second base, he's fine at shortstop right now, but the defense has certainly declined and Santiago Espinal. I mean, we'll have to see him with more sample at shortstop here, but he's had a, a real step back defensively this year at second base. Um, no name asks, do you think Brent Rooker would be available? Yeah. I mean, probably he's old for a prospect. He's already almost 29. Um, so the fact that he has years and years of control probably doesn't matter a lot to the, to Oakland. Um, unlike the Josh Naylor idea, the fact that he's right-handed gives him a little bit more of a path to, to getting playing time with you. He's also played both corner outfields this year, even though he is not a, a good defender. So maybe a little bit more versatility there, but yeah, he's a big righty bat who probably wouldn't cost a ton unless Oakland's really, really digs in on, um, you know, wanting to have those years of control. But again, this is like, this is a lesser version of the Lane Thomas situation where with, if you're Oakland, yeah, he's got years and years of control. He can't be a free agent until 2028. Um, but also, what are the chances that a 29-year-old kind of prospect, I guess we'll call him, um, since this is his first uh, his first real full go-round in the majors, even though he's had a cups, couple of cups of coffee, what are the chances his value is going to be higher than this? You, you have to weigh that if you're Oakland. Uh, Jason in Burlington asks if, if the Jays can't find a big bat, is it worth giving Nelson Cruz a shot post deadline? Sure. I mean, he wasn't very good this year. He's 43. He wasn't even hitting lefties well this year, but he is a guy who is beloved around baseball, probably adds something to your room and the ability to help other hitters. And that's the kind of thing that if he doesn't hit for a week or two, you cut bait and, and move on. I, I think that's a, you know, plan D plan E kind of thing, but he's still out there and, and that's uh that's reasonable. 
Jeremy from Guelph says the Jays should trade for J.P. Crawford and Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, Jeremy, you are not getting both of those guys for Santiago Espinal and Kevin Biggio. Uh, sorry, buddy. Uh, the Mariners fans are already mad in my mentions that we even talked about J.P. Crawford as a as a potential candidate. You're certainly not talking about J.P. Crawford with only uh, Biggio and Espinal as the return, and you get Teoscar in the deal. You'd probably, I, I'd imagine J.P. Crawford would have a real prospect capital piece uh, going back the other way. And one of those near-term guys at AAA. Eddie and Fort Erie says, uh, now that Bo is out, he's okay with having to play Espinal at shortstop. As long as you get someone like Tommy Pham, who you can put high in the order and have Espinal at the, the bottom of the lineup. Yeah, I think, look, Espinal probably has better days ahead of him. Uh, maybe the, the bat starts to come around with everyday playing time. Maybe the glove with a little bit of comfort and everyday playing time at shortstop starts to to look like the Santiago Espinal glove we expected in the past and came to expect last year. Um, and yeah, he'd be hitting at the bottom of the order. So I think it's reasonable to say, look, you'd prefer a middle infielder at this point, but if not, let's improve the bats elsewhere so that you can live with one spot in the order being maybe a, a little bit less of a bat. I, I'm, I understand that. You, you probably need uh, someone who can play shorts up in a pinch somewhere else on the, the roster, but maybe that's a situation where Jordan Luplo goes out and someone with a little more positional versatility comes back up. Um, someone with no name asked about the chances of getting Nolan Arenado. Uh, the Cardinals pretty emphatically shut that down and the Dodgers were in on him. Here's the thing with the Dodgers. Not only do they have more money than everyone, they have a better system than anyone. If Nolan Arenado hit the trade market, the Jays could make a call on it, but the Dodgers are getting him if they want him. They have more prospects and more money. Um, it's it's just, it's not as simple as that. Sometimes trades don't work out that way, but if the Dodgers and Cardinals were talking and the Cardinals said, no, we're not trading Nolan Arenado, I don't know what the Jays could offer up that the Dodgers couldn't to, to get that along. And whoever said that, no, Chapman is not doing much for you in an Arenado discussion. He's a pending free agent. John in Muskoka asks about uh, bringing up Barger, letting him play third, and then trading Chapman to get a bat and a reliever. This is an awful lot of moving parts here, John. Um, Chapman's been really good. I don't know that there is a win-win move out there that brings you back a bat and a reliever in a way that, like, I, I just don't see bat and reliever return for Matt Chapman plus Addison Barger in, and you lose Matt Chapman, and you lose someone else out of your bullpen because you're out of roster spots. Um I, I just, I don't see that trade being there. You'd have to give me names for me to understand how that trade comes out and, and the Jays are better. Uh, someone asked about Luis Robert Jr. If he can be had, I don't think so. all reports out of Chicago are that uh, good luck. You'd have to blow them away to get him or Dylan cease. Um, the White Sox are a mess. Yes, that part is true. Uh, that part is always true. And this is, this was my issue with, you know, econ 101, always having to assume that everyone is a rational actor. That is not true. And the White Sox are uh, chief among those. Joel, Joel, sorry, in New Brunswick says, uh, how much do the Jays' financial flexibility plays into what they do? Um, Passon had a report last week that um, uh, about that. Now, I, I don't, I don't think it has a ton. Honestly, they're already into the tax. They have one of the biggest payrolls and CBT commitments already this season. So, yeah, they probably, if they really didn't believe in what's here, I don't think uh, they would be eager to throw a ton of money at it, but 
there's no indication that, you know, adding a little bit of salary from here uh, is an issue. By the way, uh, the Braves just picked up Brad Hand from the Rockies. We're going to wrap up here. Ben Ennis is going to take over from one to four. Blair and Barker have you from four to seven as our wall-to-wall deadline coverage continues. Uh, last one in the text line, Bob and Terrace BC says, put away the red jerseys until next Canada Day. They're obviously cursed. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, they're done. A- end them. End them, please. Um, so, yeah, Ben Ennis coming up next for Fan Drive Time 1-4. to four. Blair and Barker 4-7. to seven. Show Ali has you for Jay's talk post-game. It's Hyunjin Ryu's return opposite Kyle Bradish at 7 p.m. So there'll be loads for those shows to talk about. Thanks to Ben, Arden, Caitlin, Alex, and John Morosi for joining us. We're back at 10 a.m. tomorrow on the Sportsnet Radio Network at Sportsnet 360.